0: Welcome to another extra special, super spectacular, part two, part one, whatever you want to call it. This is the first episode of Last of Us Part Two here on uh, Normandy FM. I'm so excited. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing? How are you feeling about starting Last of Us Part Two today?
1: I feel like I've been hit by a golf club. (laughs) Oh, oh,
2: oh, oh, (laughs) Oh, no.
0: Is it too soon? I don't know. Natalie. we are going to
2: do it. It's going to be this episode. <laughs> I mean, this right? is the episode to do yeah, it. This yeah. is the episode to do it.
0: Get all your oh, golf jokes no. out now. <laughs> Natalie Flores, is it too soon?
2: It is. It is not. Ken is the last of us king. And if he thinks it's <laughs> no. not too soon, then it's not too soon.
1: No. Nat, I'm sure it's
2: not going to be the last golf club joke. Know, either. I, I'm
1: sure it's <laughs> going to oh, happen at least one more time. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Eric's yeah. going to make an extremely dad version of it. No,
1: I'm
0: I'm already cooking on it. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I'll take uh. I'll take a few chip shots at it. Um, Nat, happy to have you back on the show. Happy to have you here for the folks at home who somehow don't know what you do already given the fact that you've only been on the show more than anyone else has ever been on the show, <laughs> what do you do?
2: Um, well, I am the featured contributor at fanby.com and uh, I was a student, but I graduated this month. Yay. Ooh. Yay! Um, so yeah. So now I can't say I'm a student anymore. So I'm still adjusting my like self introductions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like this has been part of your life for so long. It was like, yeah personality
2: at this point yeah yeah like i i don't know what to do with myself so today i just like napped for two hours and it's like oh i can do that yep wow exactly With all all this
1: new free time Right. it's
0: It's like that song no more teachers no more books no more i don't know what the other words of that song are (laughs) 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 but school's out and that means last of us part two is in natalie before Ken and I start talking about this, how did you get into The Last of Us and specifically like part two, what's been kind of your history with The Last of Us part two?
2: Um, so I really don't like the first game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I really don't like it. Um, so in the lead up to part two, and I think we're going to talk about this later, like how the marketing presented this mm-hmm. game and mm-hmm. how it shaped expectations and as well the subsequent criticism that emerged from this game, um, but I I thought the I thought like the trailers and the marketing were like fine I, I was put off by a few things but and there was nothing major that was either exciting me or you know making me apprehensive and I asked to review it for Pace Magazine back when I was still freelancing there as a contributor and. I managed to do it. Um, I remember getting the code on a Friday that I went to my chiropractor at like 5 p.m. for. So I really didn't have much time before I had to like... Well, I think it was a Friday, but I basically, I played it in less than two days. Mm. um, Both because I had to review it by the embargo time, but also because I really loved it and it's one of my favorite games ever. Um, Mm. It's definitely a, a weird relationship to like have the first part of the series that you explicitly do not like and then the sequel manages to be one of your favorite games ever mm-hmm. um so yeah and i've just spent I, I spent a lot of last year along with ken writing about the last mm-hmm. of us two a lot of like crying over the last of us two with him, <laughs> um, and venting to oh. each other about writing about the last of us two so
1: we, we weathered that storm together
2: I know we we came out stronger for it trauma so. bonding. So yeah, so I uh, yeah, yes it is. Um, so like, yeah, I have, I have so much love for this game. Um, it is a complicated game, as we're gonna you know go on to talk mm. about, and as you'll go on to explore throughout the whole season. Um, but I think its level of complexity and nuance just makes it more interesting and. Mm. Um, yeah i'm just i think it's really special that this sequel somehow is one of my favorite games ever even Mm -hmm. though i really don't like the first part to it and i think that speaks to how you know how it touched some people that Mm -hmm. weren't into it before
1: yeah
0: yeah can you you also came off this game pretty hot about it if i remember Mm -hmm. correctly
1: i did it was uh, certainly my favorite game of last year and also like Kind of solidified The Last of Us as something that was in my like higher echelon of games that I enjoy, um, and I think it uh, it is like. Nat said, it's a very complicated game, and I think it like more more explicitly kind of showcases things about the series that are not great and that we'll dis- that we will discuss uh, across the uh, the season. But also, like I think it always surprises me when I go back to it and I think or think back on it, just how well it knew itself and how well it knew the things that it had to do to make this matter in the grand scheme of like, a, like a sequel to to Last of Us Part One, which uh, a lot of people didn't think needed a sequel. And I think in the way, in the t- session that we're talking today, like, I feel like it did exactly the right thing for it to feel both essential and just like also uh, really grab me and like, keep me like, make me want to be on this ride because I had come into it like fairly apprehensive about it just because like, I was like, oh, I at the time, like, felt like, oh, I didn't feel like this needed a sequel. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think there's some um, extremely, extremely bad faith shit that we're, we'll, some of which we will have to dissect today that has kind of, like, entrenched uh, itself in the way that this game is talked about. And I, I think a lot of that also comes down to uh, the marketing, which was uh, intentionally uh, deceptive, and that, like, set the precedent for certain conversations to come around that I don't think the game itself actually engages with in any meaningful way so yeah, it's, it's a complicated game but I think like just kind of like setting the tone for where I'm at like this game resonates with me on in ways that part, I don't think part one was even really capable of just because of the very specific perspective that it followed um and I think the way that it kind of like extrapolated the the way that perspective and sort of like that friction you can have with the character that you're playing uh, that was very prevalent in the very end of part one. And like making that the theme of the game uh, is something that I think kind of is, is part of the reason that it's divisive, but I also think that level of divisiveness kind of speaks to its strengths in some ways as well. Just like that it is so, like I said, it's so sure of itself. It's so, it has things to say. It has you know, perspectives of these characters that it wants to showcase. And I think it makes it... it's weird to say, like, I mean, obviously like every piece of art, every piece of media is open to different interpretations and and whether it's going to resonate with people on certain levels. But I think making a game that was so unapologetic in the way that it was trying to be antagonistic to the player in ways um, Mm -hmm. is why I think it's interesting to kind of dissect the the ways it doesn't land for some people and the ways that it does.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: um, I'm coming into this kind of the same way I came into the last of us part one, where, my entire experience with it has been cultural osmosis, uh, probably even more so than last of us part one. Cause at least with last of us part one, uh, I had seen some of it. I played some of it. I watched some of it, but, mm-hmm. uh, with last of us part two, really most of how I've experienced this game. And, and honestly, and we ha- probably be upfront about this. This is the like smallest amount of time between a game coming out and us talking about mm-hmm. it on here. Yep. Um, now beating Mass Effect Andromeda for that. But, um, yeah. it's, uh, my entire experience with this game up to this point has mostly been, uh, reading about it in some way. Um, you know, reading, you know, I, I'd see, images in replies and be like oh what is that referencing I should probably know about that and then I went to go Mm -hmm. google what the plot point was or something like that (laughs) um or or just hearing people talk about it um because somehow for some reason even when I don't play a game if I hear somebody has a really interesting criticism of a game I still want to like listen to it read it watch it um so I've heard criticisms about this game, I've heard summaries of this game, I've heard weird Twitter ramblings and stuff like that about this game and people like <laughs> Photoshopping Abby onto things and stuff mm. like that and getting, getting really, really mad about Abby in general. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, never really understanding what this was. So part of that is to say I'm trying to go into this with as open a mind as possible. Um, and, and it's having, I'm having to do a little bit more work with that than with last of us part one, because with last of us part one, I felt like it at least reached a point at, at some point in time where it was like generally considered a classic, like a modern classic and everyone mm. kind of like dropped it and put it down. But with last of us part two, it's been weird looking in from the outside because it feels like we had about probably two to three months of a whirlwind of discourse and ideas and um, criticisms and, um, you know, an- analysis, both nuanced and unnuanced. nuanced um, mm. And at this point in the year 2021, I am surprised by how little we talk about The Last of Us Part Two. Mm. It genuinely feels at times like this game came and went and i think part of that is covid i think part of that is like we all have extremely shortened uh spans of attention when it comes to gaming these mm-hmm. days because everyone is inside all the time so we're blowing through these games in a weekend and moving on uh, it's not even just like single player story games but stuff like fall guys and all that like goes on and off our radar so fast uh, when we all have so much time to just do nothing but sit inside and play games. Um, but
3: right, like
2: I can think of so many games that we've collectively said that for. Like Fall Guys is one, um, Cyberpunk 2077 mm, yep. is another yeah. one. Yeah. I think, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about it later, but yeah, part of it I think is just the nature of this industry and. Something that's exacerbated by social media of like mm. us just like moving on to the next right. thing. Um, I think part of it, which Ken and I, I'm sure, have like feelings about, is that there are some games that are safer to talk about, mm. especially within our yep. circles. I think uh, this right. game was, like I mentioned before, Ken and I did a lot of venting to each other mm. while writing about The Last right. of Us Part Two, because um, it is a complicated game, but. Um, I think just being inside, and the pandemic, the time Mm. that it came out, really Mm. just accentuated the
1: yeah i think the it's, passion
2: um, that yeah the, the passion <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, I'm, i was I, trying I think, to find a the word to
0: make like well, a yeah. to make like a well, cooking think, reference it's the difference between like slow cooking something and like turning a skillet up to high heat and like searing yes. the steak just right on there and it feels like we're just searing everything these days oh, we're not letting anything
2: perfect simmer analogy mm. like when you take out mm. the the meat to like defrost and then but instead we're just kind of just shoving it in the microwave and clicking on the button that's like unfreezes me or something no.
1: exactly. yeah it, it's something that like i and I, I think it bears kind of like explicitly saying that like i know that was like a take that some people had like oh last of the sports you kind of came and went i think that undersells and like i, don't, I have no intention of calling anybody out if that's whatever but like the hostility around this game like Oh, it still exists. I, I would say it reached, like, Mass Effect 3 levels of, like, pe- like, and that's coming from, like, the audience. And I think it, like, and just straight up, I think it also came from, like, professional people in the space. That, like, talking about this game sucked. Not because I didn't want to talk about it or, like, there, there weren't people that, you know, had these various takeaways that that we could have talked about. But I think, like, there was, like, out, outward hostility around this game. And I think that does come from, like, one point, I think it's, like, it is the, the nature of the game and I think it is very divisive for reasons that I think are interesting. But I also think, like, when you have a game that is basically like the biggest game of the year coming from you know a uh, first party studio and it is as controversial as it is for various reasons I think it does make people just less inclined to engage with it not on any merits of the game but I think it's just like it is impossible to talk about these things and not fucking go nuts and so I, I never I've never viewed that as like had had like as if, that, as if that had any bearing on the game itself. I think it was just like the conversation around it was not fucking worth it.
3: Mm. <laughs> yeah.
1: And again, that maybe that all that just comes from like the levels at which like Nat and I were writing about it, and like we were writing about it very extensively. So like, we were very in- ingrained in that shit and saw the worst of it coming from all sides. And yeah.
2: Right. I, oh, I mean, felt like every time I was writing about it, I was like, "Oh, here we go again." So and yep. eventually, you just brace you yourself. Just decide not to do it because. Um, readership as a games journalist is hostile enough Mm. when you know you're just covering games normally um but and from
0: the jump y'all were trying to take a critical lens to it you were trying to look at all the different ways that it did things didn't do things and also like that's not even beginning to address the controversies around this game that existed like the marketing um Mm like the reports of of overwork mm-hmm. um and, and tough conditions at the studio, like uh and and all the time and I know this has existed forever, but for some reason I feel like in the last year especially it's like reached a new fever pitch, obviously because there's a new generation. The but oh mm. that too. <laughs> um, Well I I was will say like the, the console fanboys uh, right. uh like latched onto this one very specifically compared to other games for reasons that you know you can interpret your own reasons as to why but um it's just weird we're all really angry and online all the time now so (laughs) yeah and
2: I and I want to just like put a disclaimer that like it's not about not reacting well to criticism about this game or anything or even like as journalists because like Again, I, I didn't like the first part, and uh-huh. secondly, like there's so much good criticism about this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, um, yeah, I, I like disagree a little with like the the fact that it's come and gone because I'm still reading. You know, there are so many pieces that I go back to, and so many conversations that I can have with people, mm-hmm. more private ones, um, no. about this game and uh just its its complications and its nuance. One of the best conversations I had was on a Bullet Points podcast about it because I, I wrote a piece about it for Bullet Points, which is a wonderful criticism site. Um wow. and most people on that episode uh leaned towards not liking The Last of Us Two, um, and the conversation that I had with them about that game and all of its, you know, flaws, especially when it comes to like the the racial dynamics and undertones mm. um, was so rewarding. Um, it's just a matter of, like, it, it was a little complicated to navigate, like, who is actually engaging with the game and the criticism mm. of it and who is engaging more in just, like, writing it off. And you can't really, like, have a critical conversation with those people, um, and mm. they're totally in their right to, like, write it off. Like, everyone has their personal preference, but it it does mean that as critics we have to, like, you know, sort of see what we can engage with and who our criticism reaches.
0: It's tough. It's interesting. And that leaves us here at the last of us part two, which is going to be a whole thing to talk about. Cause I mean, right from the jump, right when this game starts, it pretty much picks up right where last of us part one left off uh, with Joel, as we soon realize, is retelling the story of, you know, what happened in The Last of Us, part one, specifically after he left Jackson, uh, to Tommy as they're hiding out in a, in a house. And, um, I, I felt like this was a really interesting way to open it up because right off the bat, we're seeing Joel confide in someone else, what has Mm. happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I I feel like at the end of part one, that felt like a moment where he was probably going to take that to his grave. And as Tommy says later on, like, you know, I'll I'll take it to the grave if I have to. And so obviously, like his trust was well founded. But I thought that was really interesting that we start with Joel making a big show of trusting Mm -hmm. in Tommy to tell him something like this. And it also made me question, you know, like why would you tell him this if you weren't having second thoughts about what you've done and about what you know choices you have made up to this point. Mm. Um, but it it starts off like that, and then we're immediately into like a horse riding scene. Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it really like it gets cooking right from the outset. Mm. um yeah. and, It was a. And, yeah, I was. I was just gonna say, like, I, I'm. I'm really surprised by. in some ways I I felt like they were trying to frame it in a way that if you hadn't played Last of Us Part 1, you might be able to jump in and play it here. Mm. Um, Because I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of like Mass Effect as I was playing through Mass Effect 2. um, I was looking at ways that were like, oh, this is how they introduced things that were in Mass Effect 1 if you didn't play that one and all that. But um, here it kind of seems like the intention is more to just bring some of those feelings back to the forefront (laughs) at the beginning and make those make those wounds a little tender again before you start playing
1: yeah it, it was interesting that because like i it was very interesting to see it like already putting its fingerprints all over the ending and like because that was one of the interesting things like kind of going in, into this everyone was like oh the ending of part one was so like this pristine crystallized thing that didn't need to be touched and i was, and I was like no this fucking game is already going to start out i mean like oh no that was a significant event that is going to uh basically be what brings on the rest of this game and that was kind of uh, comforting to me in a way that, like, it was like, oh, no, this is, like, doesn't feel, like, it, it already doesn't feel, like, sequel for sequel's sake, like, it's like, no, this, what happened was very integral to what's happening now, and um, so I was, I was glad to just kind of see, and I, I think this is, like, more of an appreciation that I kind of got retroactively, that, like, maybe that I realized in the moment, was just like, oh, no, like, this is not just something that it feels, like, detached from part one, that feels like, like you said, like this is just like a recap of events for people. No, it's like no, this is a game that is going to actually engage with the things that it maybe seemed like it wasn't going to. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, um, I, I, and as we like go further into this, um, we we get more and more of just you know like establishing the the relationship between Tommy and and building up what this game is going to be. I'm glad you noted it here, Ken that like this is a sign like to to not just sign posts like okay this is who Joel is telling about the ending and this is how it's affected it and this is kind of how Joel feels about it but it's also like a a a non like recognized i guess they're not blatantly saying like hey Joel and Tommy are good now <laughs> but they are good now um and so that was a nice little touch and also i like your note that
1: <laughs> you wanted a PS5 upgrade with 60 fps <laughs> <laughs> In this. thank you to whatever naughty dog developer listens to this show and made sure that that was out before we started the game. <laughs> <laughs> that made me i heard wow. it
2: makes a big difference does it really
1: it does so like um. i'll say like switching over from the part one remaster to part two i felt the drop like it was just like yeah. i was like ooh, this does not feel good like it did eventually like i you know adjusted to it and it was fine but like if i can like i I think it's been fucking remasters of old games that are, like, making me become, like, a framerate person that, like, gives a shit about that, because now I'm just, like, the second it's on 30, it's, like, I feel the drop. Like, I've been, like, obviously been playing Legendary Edition, and, like, the pre-rendered cutscenes of those games still run 30, so, like, the second that it switches over, I, like, I, I immediately can see it. I'm like, oh, man, this is something I wouldn't have realized back on, like, the 360 when the whole game ran, ran at 30, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, so I'm so to that. Like, I obviously, because it was in my notes, I did not play the Jackson section uh, with the PS5 update, but everything I'm going to play from here on out is going to be, so.
0: We got him. Ken's finally a frame rate guy <laughs> now. <laughs> so I'm so excited. PS5. I'm sick about it. <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, so we ride our horses down to Jackson after um, Joel has, has told Tommy about all this, and it's kind of quiet. You know, They don't really talk much about it, but they get there, and Tommy basically tells Joel, like, hey, you know, can't say I would have done different. And take mm. it to the grave if I have to. Um, so we get that resolved, but me- we immediately like head into a scene of Ellie, who's hanging out in a small little shed garage sort of situation uh, behind a house. Um, I think we're meant to intuit that Joel lives in the house and mm. Ellie lives in the shed. Yeah. Um, you know, she's got her own place. L- like all like all kids want to have. They want to have their own place. No. They want to have. You know, and she's got like, she's got Christmas lights up and stuff like that. It's the most like, uh, she's got like a futon in there and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that, that owns, this is very Ellie. <laughs> um, But, uh, you know, he kind of tries to tell her a joke. And there's, this is kind of like the main thing that I wanted to bring up about Last of Us Part 2, just from the outset, is you can tell there's been a technolo- uh, technological advancement here, mm. like clearly in terms of... Animation and stuff like that because mm-hmm. and you, it's really interesting because it lets you see how stuff like that can then help the writing and stuff too because there's there's a part here where uh, Joel is trying to tell Ellie a joke uh, that he can't remember and I remember there's a part where he finally gets it and he, he poses it to her and instead of her saying what or something like that she just kind of does this shrug mm-hmm. and it's the most like unpronounced, like just kind of, you know, natural human reaction to something. But there are so many little bits like this already early on in the game that it's just, it makes these characters feel a little bit more alive and also like reinforces the chemistry that they've built up so much in in part one that like, Mm. yes, you can tell that there's a little bit more distance between them now as, as Ken Mm. notes, like there's an implication that they don't see each other all the time. Um, They're kind of starting to live different lives, you know, by necessity because they're not, you know, together literally every day trying to survive anymore, but also because they're trying to assimilate into a larger society in a larger town um, and and live as as normal as you can at this point. Um, But it's a reminder that they still have that bond and that chemistry that was like grown from... All the tough shit they went through um, mm-hmm. that there's there's still clearly like a relationship there between the two, yeah. uh, which is solidified uh in a guitar, a guitar, as Joel calls it. <laughs> <laughs> i just say i love joel in last of us part two it's this part and then a part later on that was much sadder but made me be like i love joel i think joel might be one of my favorite video game Mm. characters or at least he's who i want to be when i get older (laughs) i want to be joel um Mm. but yeah yeah, he's still got that
1: sweet like southern dad like persona which is very good (laughs) um i have that guitar you I own do. Yeah. All
2: right. How much did you pay for it again?
1: Two fucking much. Oh, <laughs> oh, I was gonna say we're gonna put Ken
0: on blast on this podcast. Uh, it was yes? like over two thousand dollars. Where else would we? It's a Taylor <laughs> guitar. Like it's a yeah. that. That is worth that much money because those are yeah. legitimately nice guitars.
1: Yeah, and as I understand it, was actually like on the cheaper side for what a guitar usually does, which was yeah. like the the thing that pushed me over the edge was like, okay, if, it's, if this is cheap for what it <laughs> is, I'm going to get it now. And, well, I'd be yeah. stupid not to. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we were in the middle of the pandemic. I had like money to burn because I wasn't going out and doing shit because so, like, I couldn't. So I was just like, you know what?
2: I'm going to buy a guitar.
1: Yep, I'm going to do some dumb bitch shit and...
2: You did the I, dumb
1: bitch shit. I did. It's right over Have you
2: regretted minutes. it at all or now? No, like
1: not even a little bit. And it's hell maybe, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, cause it bit. looks nice too. Like it's no, not it even doesn't. just a gorgeous. guitar. It's, it's a good, um, set piece for your <laughs> set piece. Yeah. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> accent piece for your room. Set prop. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, if your room was a stage play, it'd be a great set prop. <laughs> um, but we also get to play some guitar, which can, as I'm to assume, this becomes a thing that happens throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Like, and a, this is an actual mechanic that we do. Yep. Yeah, um, it's really but cool.
2: We get... One of our friends, Keen Mayer yep. at The Gamer, actually wrote a piece about how, like, it's an actual mechanic you can just play. Well, actually, I don't think he wrote a piece. I think he recorded a video of
1: mm-hmm. just...
2: Or like he put yeah. together different clips of people playing actual songs, and like this being like a true to life sort of mechanic. It's just yep. really cool, and mm. goes to show the the level of detail in this game. Sometimes to a, I wonder if the word would be superfluous um, mm. amount, uh, considering just like what we know about the work conditions and whatnot. Right. But um, mm. yeah, I think it's such a a cool little mechanic.
1: Yeah. And it, it gets brought, like, I mean, obviously like, we played Future Days by Pearl Jam as Joel, and, but, like, it makes music, like, specific songs and stuff, like, have this very, like, you know, this, this is a very tangible connection to, like, events and characters. Yes. Because, like, this song in particular is something that we're going to play several times throughout the game. Like, when we are, like, you know, the game is trying to evoke memories and, um, you know, really, like, run a through line of, like, this, this song is a like, very uh, specific connection that Joel and Ellie have together. Um, because really it uses be- us actively
2: as actively as a storytelling device and like goes back to mm-hmm. what Eric said about like sometimes you don't need dialogue. A lot of this game is communicated through nonverbal
1: things, yeah, for sure, for sure. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and the, the, interesting, the interesting thing about it was like some some book called Plot Hole on Joel knowing the song because the album that it's on came out after the in universe uh, outbreak date. But apparently there was a YouTube video of, like, it being performed live. And I kind of love the idea that this, like, a YouTube video that maybe, like, Sarah showed Joel. Because, like, say Joel Joel is, like, a huge Pearl Jam fan. But Sarah is, like, you know, the tech savvy one of the two. And, like, had to show him, like, oh, no, they played the song at a concert. And it was just, like, I love the idea of that being a song that he, like, took with him that he would remember 20 years after it was shown to him. And it just kind of, like, you know. It's something that the rest of the world maybe doesn't know, but like it's something that he's kept with him this whole time and, like, bothered to learn how to play on the guitar, and that's just, like, a really sweet sentiment.
0: How, how long after the outbreak did, or or the, the date of the outbreak was the Pearl Jam one? Because I'm almost wondering then if that's, like, he could have found the record somewhere or something like that. Oh, let's find out. I'm, I'm sort of interested in that. But um, I will say I can testify to the fact that dads do love Pearl Jam. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's where I got my love of Pearl Jam from. Was from yeah, I was gonna dad.
2: say. <laughs> um,
0: no, I don't think you understand how much I I identify with Joel specifically in this game. Uh, he's great dad energy in a way mm. that I aspire to. Um,
2: you are quite close to having it. I will <laughs> say. I'm working.
0: I'm working on it. I've already got a cast iron skillet that I make my eggs in. It's. I'm very excited about my slide in dadhood.
1: So here's what I found. Okay, so the outbreak was se- September 27th of 2013. The album mm-hmm. came out about two weeks later on October 11th. And there's a point where we can go in a record store in this game and they do have posters up. So that does imply probably that the album was maybe about to be released and like maybe they m- might have had stock in record stores that could have been found. Um, so th- there are multiple like possible headcanons you can go through, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea that they were like maybe Joel raided a truck at some point and found a bunch of Pearl Jam CDs and was like, Tommy, look what <laughs> I found. <laughs> mm. A whole shitload of Pearl Jam in here. <laughs> mm. Um yeah, no, I'm very excited to talk about Joel's house later. But um mm. it's I think this is a really interesting way to open the game because it's such like a it like picks up the tension that it knows you, you're like going to be sitting uneasy on right from the outset. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, remember how we didn't resolve that thing Hit at the end, end of last game? Well, I mean, it kind of isn't resolved, but also we're going to make it seem like it's all going to be okay. Cause everybody's just hanging out in this town. And like, it's, I mean, shoot, this is a more life is strange opening than it is like a last of us mm-hmm. opening at the beginning. Like it's, small town vibes and all that like wholesome Mm. moments and no zombies no clickers no anything we do have the moment where joel and tommy are leaving this sort of hideout lookout that they're in and you can see a bunch of bodies and stuff like that but other than the fact that people are kind of carrying guns with them everywhere uh it's really not that different from just a normal-ass town. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, Nat, I was wondering kind of how you felt about this whole intro section and and how they started this game off uh, and dealt with kind of the major conflict uh, before we get into this time skip here.
2: I think it's a a really nice sort of foundation for the core or one of the cores of this game, which is like Mm. Ellie wrestling with her complicated feelings for Joel. Um, That's just how family works. Like family, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of the time we love family, but they are like the reason why we are traumatized (laughs) or like have grown up with different issues. And that's, this is Ellie um, having this time and being able to sit with herself and become aware of this, because, like, along with everything that you mentioned earlier is the implication that she, on some level, at least knows that there's something up with Joel and what he did at the end of The Last of Us Part 1. Like, it is not a a solid, concrete thing that she knows, but I think she's smart enough and knows him well enough to pick up on the fact that, Mm. like, she knows that it is a possibility at the least, and this is... The beginning of her sort of wrestling with that, both internally and externally, and since she's so young and she doesn't know for sure, the way that it manifests externally is like through this very teenage awkwardness where, Mm -hmm. like, they had such intimacy and closeness when they were, you know, on the road and trying to survive together, but now that they are in less dire circumstances and are able to sit down with themselves as individuals and also as part of a community um it 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 forces her to have that room to sort of evaluate what she feels about joel and like how she's going to take that dynamic going forward so i think it's Mm. like and I, i think it's very realistic that it would manifest into this like awkwardness where there's mm. obviously like something going on, but neither of them wants to acknowledge that there's this level of friction between them, right. um, and that she doesn't actually like say anything about it. You know, it's communicated through the shifting of the eyes or just like fidgeting or just this mm-hmm. like shrug of the shoulder. Um, but she's too young to really, despite all the experiences that she has and the the wisdom that she's gotten from them, she's still a little girl, and so. Right um it is not she has not developed and also like come to terms with this enough for her to verbalize this to Joel anytime soon
1: Mm. yeah I think that like all that tension it leaves on makes the time skip kind of like jarring and feels like deliberately separating us from Ellie because like it is like it's gonna jump we're about to jump four years later and like there's immediate questions of like what the fuck has happened in those those years like what is what is the state of their relationship Mm -hmm. and uh it and uh, they there are gonna be like hints towards it throughout what's gonna ha- what we're gonna talk through today, but uh that was like a very there's a very specific tension that's going on throughout the game that I I think they are very deliberate in the way that they are gonna like piecemeal it out. Oh. And uh right. yeah, and I'm um,
2: Sometimes the people that you love do like the most frustrating things, like right. not just things that you know are frustrating on a superficial level but that really mess you up for the rest of your life and that's nope. a consistent theme that we'll be seeing mm-hmm. perpetuated not through just joel but ali mm-hmm. um, yeah
0: it's yeah. frustrating because you love them too like nope. i think that's it's like extra fucked up sometimes for that reason like Come on, you're supposed to be this person that is supposed to be, like, a constant in my life, and they do this thing that's just going to cause so much fucking trouble for me. Like, why are you being a dick like this? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, I'm interested to see how this pans out, obviously, because we... um, Even though this is going to be a long section today, uh, if you couldn't already tell, um, a lot happens in it. Like, I feel like they really zero to 100 this game after this mm-hmm. point because right after we've had this kind of rise and fall within the prologue um we have a time skip to four years later and we see a more grown-up ellie uh still living out in the shed uh rolling out of bed at it's like six thirty. come on that's still pretty early I've, i feel like she didn't oversleep that much <laughs> enough
1: for Jeffy to come looking for her
0: well, I, I've got takes on Jesse, let me tell you. But, <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, so she she goes over the door and, and Jesse reminds her that uh, she's supposed to be on patrol today with everybody. Um, we are supposed to intuit at this point that they are friends and obviously we we're going to learn that uh, Jesse, Ellie, and Dina are kind of the... Uh, Oh, God, I almost just use a reference I did not want to use. So okay. let's now let's call the, it. The, the the three pals who definitely aren't wizards hanging out at a wizarding school, but they're like the three oh. core pals of, oh, no. of the story oh. experience. I could almost really, compare yeah. it to Riverdale, but that there's that's four, and that's the problem. That's the core four, and I can't do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs>
2: I, <laughs> I, I really actually regret having told you to <laughs> to say <laughs> that is the one time that I've regretted putting someone on the spot. It was bad, bad. <laughs> oh. mm. anyway. Anyway.
0: that bad. <laughs> anyway.
3: Anyways.
0: I mean, yeah. And I I was gonna take the metaphor further, but we don't need to. No, no. no. <laughs> Let's turn this dial. <laughs>
2: You know, you could just beat us with a golf club over the head with it. Oh, on, I could. Just, I
0: really oh. could.
2: Just go on. Just go on. I'm sorry. Did class. you think
0: this was gonna be quick? <laughs> um <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so uh Jesse confronts Ellie is like, Heard you had a big night last night and Ellie is like, Hey, she kissed me. It was just Dina being Dina and he's like, Wait, I was talking about your fight with Seth. You kissed Dina. <laughs> and um And he's, he quickly reveals that he's messing with her, but also he's still kind of like, that is kind of fucked up though. And you get this kind of like back and forth between them right away. That's like, okay, you know, they're, they're friendly. There's maybe, you know, obviously a little bit of drama as there would be with any friend group, but they're, they're friendly enough to quickly overcome that uh, and move on with their lives and Mm -hmm. stuff. And as we explore Ellie's room, which we get a little bit of time to do here. Uh, we can also see that there's a picture of the three of them on her corkboard alongside a bunch of other sketches and drawings and stuff. So uh, we get the sense that in the four years that have transpired, you know, one of the big things in Last of Us Part One that Ellie would always talk about was like, I hope there are other people that are like my age. I hope there's mm. other like, you know, kids there that I can hang out with. It's cool now to see that she's managed to develop some level of a friend group and also some level of drama, you know, it's nice. Yeah it's nice to have some drama in your life. You know, it's good to have, it's healthy. It's, she needs, <laughs> you know,
2: real, like normal drama, not like life. Normal ass right
0: drama.
1: Then. Yeah. It, it is, it is a nice dynamic to have. Cause like part one was so specifically like Joel and Ellie, like a parental dynamics. Mm. And like the, you know, that was like the standing that those characters had, but like now Ellie has like relationships of her own that are like separated from Joel. And then like, you know, are more on like a grounded 19 year old level. And, like, like, like y'all said, it's like, it's good for her to have, like, actual problems that are not just, like, life or death shit. And, like, actually, like, oh, trying to figure out what, the things that I enjoy in the world and, like, and, you know, whatever result of the world. Like, the things that I enjoy, the things I want to do, the interests that hold me, and, um, maybe, like, some, uh, individuals that maybe she has feelings for as well. hmm Yeah. Good for her. Good yeah.
0: for her. Um... And it is also interesting, like, I will say, at least from my own personal lived experiences, this is not, like, the worst teenage writing I've ever seen in a video game, mm-hmm. like, mostly because they don't try to just fill it full of, like, what an adult thinks a teenager sounds like, um, right. Right. which other series have done in the past, mm-hmm. um, but it is, like, you know, they speak normally, they s- yeah. Do memes so, exist in well, in so, the that zombie was, apocalypse? That was what I was.
1: That was what I was thinking. Was like, uh, how much of that like is they have to kind of ground their dialogue also like in a world that where like the internet doesn't exist and like, oh my god, maybe slang and shit doesn't develop in the same way because like they are generally like around, you know, adults. That have like I mean, some, like characters like Joel and Tommy like did live in like the uh, pre-apocalyptic days, but like in terms of like culture being defined by the internet and, like, constantly, like, taking in information from other areas of the world. The Last of Us can't really do that. So, like, they do just have kind of, like, very grounded uh, ways that they speak, in which is refreshing. And I think, in the long run, it's going to help this game age better than other uh, series that, like, have teen writing that just, like, memes itself, like, dating, dating itself to the day it was released. And, yeah.
0: That sounds like such a blessed place. I know. <laughs> there was no... So- They didn't have podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) The concept of podcasts never existed in the world.
2: Uh. They couldn't
0: ever listen to Normandy FM. But you know what? If we're going to look at the whole of podcasting, I think we'll take the bullet on that one. Um, Yeah, it's, man, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because now I'm just suddenly realizing it explains so much of why this dialogue feels so genuine and natural. It's cause they don't have a lot of really common things to fall back on or just like random stuff or even things like what was it in dragon age that irked me so much when they said stuff like creme brulee. And I was like, yeah. there's no basis for them to understand what <laughs> creme brulee is. Cause France doesn't exist in Thetis, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they don't mm. have that to, to fall back on. That's interesting. Okay. Um, and we also get kind of a walk-in talk here, which is which is neat and fun. Well, first, let's talk about what's in Ellie's room, because uh, there are a few items of note, including a PlayStation 3, the power of the cell processor survives <laughs> the zombie apocalypse. Um, there's the photos that we talked about before, an astronaut statue that we will probably be touching back on again at some point, and... Um, sketches she's kept doing her sketching and sketching will become a thing Mm -hmm. as the game proceeds in some ways there are a lot of i felt like they did a better job with the collectibles quote-unquote in this game like already from the outset like the fact that you can do sketches and stuff like that and the the trading cards they all felt just a little bit more like someone obviously played gone home between Mm -hmm. (laughs) the last of us and and the last of us part two like being able to pick things up and move them around
1: and yeah, and even th- even that's, like, uh, building off the stuff that was in Uncharted 4, because I, th- I think that is, like, in th- similarly the way that we were talking about Mass Effect and Dragon Age kind of, like, building off each other as we were going through those seasons, I, th- I feel like you can especially see it as, like, Last of Us Part 1 and then kind of onward watching Uncharted and Last of Us kind of bounce off each other mm-hmm. as well, because, like, the sketching and the journal thing, that is a Nathan Drake thing that he does through those games, and um, you know, having the chance to, like, look at documents that you can kind of, like, rotate instead of... Uh, having them that, that, like, drop-down menu that Part 1 had, Uncharted 4 thing. And so, like, yeah, I, I felt like when it came to ways in which Ellie could interact with the world and, you know, yeah. and, and like, sketch things down and, like, kind of, like, give us, like, an internal monologue throughout her journal entries uh, that feels very much like the next evolution of what Uncharted 4 was doing. Mm-hmm.
2: The journal is so good. Mm-hmm. It's another thing that she picks up after like as she leaves she grabs a jacket and Uh a pistol and a pack and her journal and just that that edition of the journal does so much for her character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the world around her i think like recently wrote about this for fanvite where like resident evil village has horrible journal entries so like when you when a game has a bad (laughs) journal system it is so distracting when a game does it right like in this game or life is strange 2 or life is strange Mm. 1 like it does so much of the Mm -hmm. heavy lifting for realizing this world and its characters
0: I'm just remembering that very, very good journal article right now. (laughs) 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 Poor Ethan Winters is struggling to journal with, like, the fifth of a hand he has left by the end of that game. He has, like,
2: like, no hands and he's out here drawing, like, concept art Lady (laughs) Dimitrescu. I'm like, bitch. Like, he's, like, one of those people that's, like, a five-minute sketch heart emoji on Twitter and they have, like, a Picasso-level painting. Mm -hmm. But he just, like... He also has like no hands. He just got them chopped off. So I'm like, what is happening just, here?
0: If it was real, it'd just be like blood over every page <laughs> and like these random yeah. scribbles. And stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just him saying "ow, ow, ow" over and over again. <laughs> Why am I still journaling? Um, mm-hmm. Should have got a should have got one of those voice memo recorders that literally every soldier in The Last of Us had in Last of Us Part One. See that's <laughs> That's what Ethan Winner should have done. Um, right. But yeah, as as we get up and we go out and we leave our well, little one, shed. One, one more thing that we oh, missed in the room. Oh, yeah. Are we talking about Sam's statue? Yeah. The, the robot. Yeah, the yeah. robot that Sam had wanted is still in the shed, which is a nice little callback. Um, mm. Ellie's still sad. We're still sad. We're all still sad.
2: She's just an um, emo white girl who writes bad poetry <laughs> and like... Gets in her feelings about a pretty girl. And, like, I get that. I get, like, at least (laughs) half of that. Like, I I love these touches of ordinariness that she is able to achieve in the middle Mm -hmm. of everything. I think just, like, such a great way to introduce this character again.
0: Right. They they really establish her as a character up front, which is maybe, I don't want to, like, show my whole hand too early here, but maybe starts to highlight how much they don't expound on other side characters that quickly become focal points of the cast. And maybe that changes as we spend more time with them. But, Mm -hmm. um, especially as we were like, as we were moving through the town and stuff like that, it it was really cool to be like, Oh, this is a populated area. This is like kind of new for the last of us as we're walking Mm -hmm. through. Uh, and, and Jesse tells us that, um, Maria wants to see us, um, and you know before we take off and they're talking about going to the is the diner right um yep. which is they get there and it's basically a bar but okay mm. <laughs> and, it's but like a pub
2: um, right like kind of yep. like a mix of them yeah yep.
0: it, you go in and it's a bunch of old dudes standing around drinking and i was like okay isn't it like six thirty in the morning how y- are y'all doing all right <laughs> um but it's uh as we go through here this this whole area in Jackson, it's like, oh, there are people everywhere. they're like kids playing in the street, and it just looks like a town, like we are in a mm-hmm. town, um very like you know, down home. you know it helps that up to this point, I mean, like throughout the entirety of this, we don't see any cars mm-hmm. like. Uh, and it's so weird to think about that, that like, this is what a town would look like if everyone was just walking around it all the time and there were some horses and stuff like that, but no cars and everyone's just kind of walking and playing in the street and stuff like that. It's very idyllic almost. I I actually enjoyed it a lot. I was like, oh, this,
3: it's It's,
1: it's kind of idyllic, but it's also like clearly a fucking like American small town and the way that like it, like there are points where like, we're walking by and uh, there, pe- there's like a group of people like gossiping and like as you start to like walk in their direction, they're like, oh, sh- here she comes, here she comes, here she comes. Because mm-hmm. they're talking mm-hmm. about something that happened last night, which we actually kind of glossed over. But like there was a fight somewhere that's w- where Dina kissed Ellie and there was a fight between them well, and I was, somebody. I was going
0: get to that when we got to the confrontation. Don't worry, all right, Ken. All right, I got fine. This. Fine. I'm pacing fine. myself.
2: <laughs> Before I move on, I, I do want to say that I, I agree that it's like this like American town but it's also a very extremely narrow definition of an American town because uh-huh. like the game tries to portray that this is sort of this is meant to become a diverse space because like it matters less the area where Jackson is which I believe is Wyoming mm-hmm. yep. right so it matters less the location and, like the demographics of that because like we are in this post-apocalyptic world where like the people who have arrived from here are everywhere across America. Mm. Um, but as you walk around, like something that stuck out to me was that you don't really see any cultural signifiers of like blackness or right. like uh-huh. Latinidad or like literally any other culture besides like this very specific white right. American culture. And that is something that bothered me as I was walking. I was like, you know, I'm seeing all these all these people, all these colors, different, you know, groups, but I'm not seeing their cultures reflected here, and I think that is a major oversight of the direction that was handled here.
1: Yeah, we we talked about it a little bit with the uh, the left behind episode. What is it like? It, it's interesting to see like what culture, like an asignifiers of culture, are like able to survive the apocalypse, or like what is just kind of like yeah, yeah. what happens when you are in a world where you just kind of like survive what's there, and. Um, I think it gets interesting, like, not only in terms of, like, the cultural signific- fires, but also just the people's attitudes and, like, people, the way yeah. that people kind of, like, can be in this very insular area and talk about each other the way that these characters do, and mm-hmm. it, it, it is interesting to kind of see, like, what The Last of Us thinks would survive the apocalypse and, like, what yes. the, uh, you know, I it, th- there's a lot to be said, because, like, even, we'll talk about it next, next week, about how, like, there's a queer bookstore that, like, Ellie doesn't know what a fucking pride flag is, and just, like, Shit like that, mm-hmm. that always stuck out to me. And um, it, 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 is int- it is an interesting thing, but it also, like, like you said, it can, be, it can make it all kind of feel very homogenous. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, I, w- I was going to breach into it more in this next section because I think it starts out very like, oh, this is so quaint, this is so interesting, this is so like idyllic American town. And then as you start to learn more about what's been going on, especially like what transpired the night before with Seth, it does start to peel away of like, okay, but what is an idyllic American town and mm-hmm. how has that been represented? And how does mm-hmm. that like persist in ways that aren't always obvious? And one of those, I mean, this, it's a thought I've had a couple of times up to this point um, in the last of us, which is like, why do bad people keep surviving mm-hmm. and why, why do bad people stay alive? And, um, it felt like with Seth, they were starting to breach onto that a little bit more where it's like this idea of, um, Hey, here's this guy. Who's a bigot. Um, we don't know what he said just yet, but we know he said something to Ellie after Ellie kissed Dina. And we know that Ellie and Dina are both girls. So <laughs> we can kind of start to let mm. our minds wander and fill in the blanks there. and, uh, when we get to this, this diner, this eatery that we're supposed to meet Maria, at, she's set up kind of a forced make good between Ellie mm. and, and Seth, where he comes out and he's like, Oh, I made you sandwiches, you know, and he, and again, it's, it strikes you in a way that I think only strikes you if you've ever been on the receiving end of this kind of stuff. And I'm sure, um, f- other folks can speak to this a lot better than I can. Uh, But the way that he tries to just kind of offload the sandwiches and even says, I'm trying to say I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. but doesn't ever manage to say it without the words in front of it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just makes it feel like forced. And Maria is just like, good. okay, now both of you go back and there was Mm. no real resolution for anyone. It was just like okay, now everybody go back to playing nice with each other. There was, you know, the most amount of confrontation was avoided rather than any sort of meaningful resolution Mm -hmm. acquired. And as Ellie kind of storms off and shoves them into Jesse, is like, here's bigot sandwiches, I don't want them. Um, We get that sense of like, you know, maybe Ellie is enjoying being around people that she enjoys being around, being around Jesse and Dina but maybe not necessarily being around everyone. And that's kind of a weird situation that we haven't had to grapple with yet in the last bus, because everyone is just trying to survive and live before now. And now that you have the luxury of gossiping and talking shit like that, Mm. all of a sudden, a lot of ugly stuff can come to the surface. So I don't know. Ken, how did you kind of feel about this, this interaction here?
1: It was something that rang very true to me, and I think it plays into, like, this is mostly modeled around, like, what it, what The Last Bus believes, like, a conservative small town looks like. And because, like, Maria cares less about, like, Ellie's comfort than she does about keeping the peace, and that was something mm-hmm. that, like, I've felt very many times growing up around here, where it did not matter if it was, like, if I had to be in the presence of a bigot for some, for whatever reason it might have been growing up. But, uh, I was expected to play nice because that was what is, was expected of everybody in the, in the, uh, the situation. And, um, it is like, I, and I, I talked about it last week, I get, like, if you, maybe you are a person that lives, like, in, an, like, in a, like, an explicitly queer space that does not have to, like, necessarily deal with, like, this being a ever sort of, uh, accepted thing that, like, this kind of shit's gonna happen and you have to just kind of live with it and make nice, keep the peace, um, but as a person that, like, has lived in a small town his entire life and has been around a community that, like, talks shit behind your back but, like, doesn't necessarily confront you immediately. Um, and, you know, like, people try, like, I don't know. It's just, like, I, I really sympathize with Ellie. Ellie, in particular, like, feels very much like, some, like an analog to shit that I've experienced my whole life. And um, the way that she's kind of, like, like, Maria expects her to kind of just put up with it for, like, the sake of, like, not causing a ruckus like not causing any more drama like letting it kind of like wither away in gossiping circles um felt very real to me and like when we get when we do eventually get to like what happened that night i'm like that sounds like the language that people have said to me like and you know people that i know around where i've been my entire life and uh yeah so like i just i get why it might not jive with people but like it really fucking hit for me and you know, maybe feel some way about Maria that I like, obviously like the context of like that kind of interaction was not something we ever saw of her in part one, but like, it really just like, was, like, Oh, you, yeah, you like, you run this place, but you like, you are more interested in keeping the peace and like, making everyone just kind of like go to their respective corners instead of like dealing with ingrained issues that are happening within your community. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Natalie, do you have any thoughts about this part or
2: mm, not anything that hasn't already been said, mm
0: it's 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 a weird like it it was definitely weird like we when we came off of left behind i remember that was something that that we had brought up and Mm -hmm. and that that came up the idea of how this stuff can persist and also just like the general addressing of queer themes within the last of us and Mm -hmm. it it definitely seems like it's going to be more in the forefront as this game progresses Mm -hmm. um certainly in this prologue area um we finally uh, head out. Uh, we we find out that Jesse's going to go take over for Tommy and Joel, who have been out um, on their their route for a while. He's going to go relieve them. Meanwhile, uh, that means Ellie gets to team up with with Dina. Uh, oh boy! <laughs> and uh, we get to do a little snowball fight with the kids on, on the playground. Um, which is kind of funny because you can tell that Ellie hates the kids. And it's a really funny moment where she's just like, I want to beat those kids up <laughs> real bad. And I was like, oh, my God, Ellie's great. Um, it mm-hmm. also serves as kind of our introduction to who Dina is, um, as she's obviously a lot more like she's hanging out with the kids. She's having fun with them. You know, she's mm-hmm. piling around. She's a lot um, more maternal. Yeah, yes. True. For yeah. sure. Um, more of a people person. Dina yeah, is so generally all like, um, yeah. An extrovert. And and Ellie is an introvert. Um, Love love the ship. Love the ship dynamic here.
3: Yeah,
2: it's
0: cute. (laughs) Well, she, I mean, like right away, Dina makes like goo goo eyes at at Ellie, like right off the bat. And I was just like, oh, okay. That was another point where I was like, wow, they've really upped all of their tech in terms of just like making humans seem more human in these Mm -hmm. games. Cause I was like, oh, she's like all of her, just her body language, the way she's kind of like leaning on the fence and being like, Hey Ellie, what's yeah. up? And so I was like, Oh, this is really believable right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's something obviously transpired between these two. <laughs>
2: I really like the small touch of like, it's, there's a moment where Jesse calls out to Dina first and she's like, yeah, I'm coming or something like that. But she sort of dismisses him and she's still playing mm-hmm. with the kids. But when Ellie comes around, mm-hmm. like she's like, mm oh wait y'all I'm about to go
3: <laughs> 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 um, we also get to little play spring
2: in her step
0: oh yeah yeah. yeah. She's like, oh Ellie um, we so, also get to beat the kids up by pelting them with snowballs as kind of our reintroduction to the mechanics of the last of us and I guess we can is now like the good time to talk about all the shit they put in this game or do we want to save that for the Abby <sighs> section later
1: Let's, let's keep going, because, like, something okay. that what did was, like, very... Like, it stood out to me a lot in this first section is the way that they divided the tutorial up, like, yes. in between the two characters. Like, establishing, like, oh, there's more to what we seem to be doing here. And, like, because... Yeah. We'll, we'll get to yeah. it when we get to it. The Ellie okay. stuff,
0: like, the snowball fight is just kind of like, hey, this is how The Last of Us plays. Remember, this is how you do stuff in The Last of Us. Hmm. um And uh, we have a cute little snowball fight, but then we... we finally win and take off and head off to the stables. We're going to go on our patrols, Ellie and Dina are on the, it's like the Creek route or something like that. Um, Mm. and so they take off on their horses and they're heading out to patrol. And then all of a sudden we're in a different place entirely. Uh, we see a girl waking up from a nightmare, uh, and goes to kind of look out the window and a dude comes over and, uh, asks her what's up he wants to show us something and so this is i mean this is not totally uncommon for the last of us they've done switching perspectives yeah. before but i feel like doing it right from the outset is already kind of establishing that something is up and also like with a
1: character we, we don't know who they are like yeah. like we don't even know this character's name for like a solid like five minutes into the section
0: and and cutting from this like idyllic town and like the sun rising and everybody cheering and having fun to like there's a blizzard Mm. outside and they're like holed up in a in one of the resorts uh and like obviously you know very tired very distraught uh looking for something
2: it really Uh, communicates the opposite and that these two characters will be from each other, because, yes. like you said, we yeah. go from this very warm environment to this extremely yeah. frigid sort yeah. of scene. and I think it just establishes their differences and yeah. some, again, some like nonverbal ways. there's a lot of character work that is done nonverbally in this game. Mm-hmm. and I hadn't thought about it until now as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also it it establishes more relationship dynamics here. as they're walking, they kind of start to talk about. Um, how the the guy uh who I'm just I'm I'm gonna get past this already. Uh, the guy is Owen and the girl is Abby. Mm. Um but they uh establish that Owen is dating someone named Mel now. Uh but that clearly Owen and Abby were involved at some point and also that Owen reels that uh Mel is pregnant, which is a little bit of a dun 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 moment for Abby, but we're all, like, we're still trying to, like, contextualize just who this is and what their goals are and, and what they're doing, Um and I'm trying to be naive because, like I said, I already know what's happening <laughs> in this game, but uh it does make me wonder, like, what this was like for people going into this game who had not already been spoiled on what the plot of the game was, because I yeah. felt like they were fairly upfront. From the out, like I felt like even before the major leaks came out and the story got like completely spoiled on the internet, they were being fairly upfront that this was going to be a two character perspective game that there they were had... going to be two characters in this yeah, game.
1: the interesting thing, I think, like even like looking back on it, it was like they had one trailer that featured Abby, like mm-hmm. it, like more uh upfront than anything that came after people so thought it she was felt,
2: Ellie's mom right yeah there, that like, was
1: even like a theory at one point that these were like flashbacks to yeah Ellie's mother who we never saw um but it, it was interesting like it's like look, looking back on it now it's interesting to feel like I feel like maybe they were starting to lean into one kind of like marketing campaign and then maybe like pulled back because like that one trailer was all we ever saw of Abby at that point and it very it did like it Wasn't well, of gameplay specifically, but it like very clearly like the camera went behind her, like over her shoulder. So like it looked like it was about to like be a playable moment, um, and that does end up coming up later in the game. But it was interesting because like I, I mean I, I think if I recall correctly, both of you saw the leaks and were like aware of what was happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like as the person that like made a very calculated decision to not look at those, it was immediately offputting. Like it's something they. I think they ended up putting, like, a red herring in and, uh, when we get back to L.A. and we'll talk about it, like, that they might be looking for somebody in the town. Um, but, like, you gather already that they have some sort of, like, violent intent somehow. Like, you don't really know who it's for. You don't know why. Um, so I was immediately, like, suspicious of her. But, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm fucking on this ride now. I'm, you know, we're going to go wherever it is that she wants to go. And it's um, so, like immediately there were like red flags. Like, I don't know if I should trust this person, but I, I don't have much, much of a choice. I got to keep going. And, um, those, that distrust was well founded by the end. But, Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, even from the outset here, like we eventually get to where Owen is trying to show us what he wants to show us. And it's Jackson. And so we get the reveal Mm -hmm. that they are in near Jackson, uh, and that that is also like a goal. That is something they are looking for, and uh, the way Owen starts to talk about it, he mentions they he's seen in our patrol that they have electricity, guns, a lot of people. Uh, you can tell that obviously they're here to do something. They have ill intent towards him. Is is how they refer to it, um, which I feel like is just the immediate red flag flying up. That mm-hmm. like, hey, they're they're like three male characters that we know of at this point, <laughs> And it's probably not two of them. So, um, you know, unless they're going in there to fuck up Seth, which is like, okay, you know, valid Do do what you got to do. They, Allyship. Yeah. They, they got, they heard, they heard him talking shit all the way from Washington. Said we're rolling <laughs> down there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, obviously Abby is clearly not dissuaded. So she has a bit of a personal investment in whatever they're about to do. Uh, She even poses the idea that they'll grab a patrol and get the information they need out of the patrol by whatever Mm. force they need. Not, well, hmm. unlike Joel a little bit in a way that I feel is very specific, Mm. but there's a lot of premeditation to what Abby is doing here you know yeah. Joel did get violent and torture people and stuff like that but it was it was when he was when he had no other option when his hand was kind of forced and granted mm-hmm. like he does have options where he does just kind of go off the handle but the, it was never something where he was cooking on it for years you know and we at least here at the outset we get the idea that Abby has made this trek for a reason and that takes time and that mm-hmm. takes a lot of time spent in your own brain thinking about the moment that you are building up to in a way that Joel never really had
1: yeah and Um, I think something that like also sticks out to me at this point is like Owen is like not about it like I think this is something that after like certain areas of the discourse and like just you know replaying these games a little bit more removed um realizing that the game is already setting up that like Maybe, like, you know, this group that, with, that is with Abby is, like, on board to some extent, but there is, like, a level of, like, critical eye being already mm-hmm. s- sent her away. And it's by people that, like, she, is, she knows intimately. And, um, yeah, just, to, like, put a pin in that, I think. I think it's yeah. Important. They, they support her to some extent, but. Right, like, like, Owen even has that line, like, I want what you want, but not at any cost. Yes. yeah, yeah
0: um and that's that's also when he mentions that mel is pregnant and all that which probably does not help abby you know was maybe not the time to drop that buddy if you're when you're trying to make a compelling argument to be like oh by the way me your ex uh the the girl i'm with now is pregnant by the way a great time to bring this up um owen then makes another rookie mistake which is he just walks back without abby and abby's like okay well I'm just going to go do it myself then. Um, you know, as she says, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do it all on my own. Um, and this is when we start to get introduced to a lot of the new mechanics in this game, mm-hmm. starting with going prone. Yeah. Uh, we can go all the way prone, no longer only crouching. Um, <laughs> I know from seeing gameplay and stuff that this involves hiding in tall grass. Mm-hmm. Um it also seems like it's used to kind of navigate the environment in various yep. ways, uh, you know, to get around obstacles and things like that. Uh, I will say I'm not wild about it in those circumstances because it feels like it's one more contextual clue that I have to keep an eye out for to be like, oh, okay, I was supposed to like prone and get through over here. And there have already been a couple situations in this game where I felt like they weren't signposting the path ahead very clear um, in a very mm-hmm. legible way. Uh, compared to the last of us part one but um as a combat thing i'm interested to see especially in stealth like how that changes things up
2: it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that i've most seen in praise of the last of us part two in contrast to the first one is that the level design is a lot just more realistic and subtle about Mm -hmm. like the fact that you're entering this specific like navigation zone or combat zone because like i I think about that screenshot where where joel is talking with Tess and then there's like a bunch of boxes in the background just organized (laughs) very weirdly and not in a normal way and then you're like oh yes this is a combat area something's gonna happen here and i think it plays
1: into like part two does like have the more open spaces so like it is kind of more naturally weaving combat arenas into the environment and i think like a lot of the, the sort of changes that in terms of like the actual actions you can take in The Last of Us Part Two are more about how you navigate those spaces because it is stuff like protein and um, s- like sliding through like uh, cramped spaces and shit. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot on paper, but it, like it just opens up like the strategies that you have to really contend with when you are entering any of these environments, especially like when it's maybe like, like even less of a like the infected, but like more of the, the human enemies that like are you know cognizant and doing their own shit. Um, cause I do think like I I am surprised but, like as I replay this game like oh yeah they like managed to make a lot of those more linear philosophies work in a more open space and be helpful and I like I think um, this specific section in um, Jackson is maybe one of the more difficult to navigate just cause like it is in the middle of a blizzard like the, the sort of like uh, environmental cues are not as apparent um, and it, there's like a, a point that we're gonna get to later with Abby where like you going to like run from a horde of infected and I remember like running into a couple issues there where I did like find myself run into the dead ends and or like being caught off guard by like a, a crowd of uh, infected that I had to uh, get away from. So I, I think it's I do think this, this particular section is probably the least conducive to a lot of those things. But I think by and large, like when we get to uh, like Seattle, that's when they start to like integrate those things in a more natural way. Yeah, my my
0: thing was more specifically with, like, Ellie and Dina later when they're, when they're in the supermarket area. Um, there were a few places where I think their their intent was to kind of guide you in a certain way. But I remember there was one shutter door that you were supposed to interact with that looked like all the other shutter doors. And I was just <laughs> like, okay, I was supposed <laughs> to guess that I could lift the shutter when I've not really done that up to this point. But... Um, And and even then it ended up being a red herring that you were supposed to interact with just so that like Dina could point something else out. Um, But we're not there yet. (laughs) We also have, um, I mean, we can just keep pushing through. We have a good Mm -hmm. bit where we have to like literally push through a frozen infected as we start to find some bodies Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that was nasty and fun Mm -hmm. in a way that (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. There's still zombies here. Um, And then we have a dodge.
1: Yes. Which I missed the entire part one. That
0: game changer right there. Mm. Good Lord. Um, Yeah. Now that I'm playing this game with dodge and with some of the other ones that I, I kind of just want to bring up now um, because they, I feel like they get introduced later, but like being able to hot swap between two weapons, a long gun and a short gun, um, and, and some of the other just quality of life changes that have been made, uh, this game just feels better to play on every mm-hmm. level <laughs> than yep. The Last of Us Part. Definitely. Yep. Um, I still miss my shots all the time because I'm a scrub, <laughs> but uh, it's it definitely feels like they really took an examination of the combat,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which honestly, like, for a game that I feel the story is what's so often talked about. And the narrative is so often what's talked about. I don't feel like I saw enough people talking about just how good this game feels to play. Cause by mm. the time we got to the parts where I was actually doing combat and stuff like that, I was like, Oh, this, this is good. Like, this yeah. is really solid. Like this is just a well put together combat game. Yeah. Like they did a good job. And in a lot of ways that I felt like last of us part one did not feel good. Mm. Like they, they did it all feels pretty solid here.
1: Yeah. And, th- and I think, like, some of those, like, more nuances to it that you'll see, like, not even necessarily in the section, but you'll definitely see more in the Seattle sections or just, like, the environment feels more deliberate in the way that it allows you to kind of get through these, these uh, not, not to say that part one didn't have, like, a lot of, like, non-linear sort of, like, combat design in terms of, like, what it allowed you to do, but just, like, when they are more open and when you do have things, like, you can just, you know, crawl through tar- or through uh, tighter spaces and, uh, kind of like shimmy through them too and then prone and then like you know have your specific weapons that are more like geared towards stealth it's just, like the options for how you can make ellie and abby work in terms of uh combat is just a, it just feels like more open-ended and a lot of the upgrade systems do that as well and i think they also to their credit like do a very good job of making ellie and abby feel distinct in the way that they fight as well mm-hmm. um which i mean we can get to in a, in a second. Cause, like ellie, well, I mean, we can talk just about that more later.
0: That, like, Abby keeps going, keeps fighting some infected. Um, the blizzard keeps picking up, and she eventually finds some horse tracks that lead her on towards maybe who she might be looking for or someone who can tell her who she might be looking for. And then we jump back to Ellie. Yeah. Um, so clearly, we're do- doing kind of a trade off, a bounce back and forth. Um, and it's clear that there's time between them because the blizzard has not even come close to picking up yet in, yeah. in Ellie's uh, area. Um, but as, as Ellie and Dina start to move through this area, we get kind of our first major open area, um, where we can kind of walk around and, and talk about stuff. Um, we, we have like a horse ride followed by town where you can just kind of go find things and explore a little bit, which is really interesting. Um, oh wait, no, I'm ahead of myself. Aren't I? I was in a different area entirely. Um, Mm yeah i know i forgot that we go to the we go to the uh the lookout point first my bad my bad folks at home
2: <laughs> you skipped the ellie and dina dynamic there
0: i know yeah. i know
2: quite it's upsetting typical straight. straight
1: truly a uh, pride yeah true uh-huh. truly upload to gay pride
0: I know. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I skipped. I skipped, skipped ahead to one Ellie and Dina moment for another <laughs> Ellie and Dina moment. <laughs> um, but we do get we do get some cool stuff. Okay, so forget all that I just said. And first we go to them going into a lookout point, uh, which is also a cool little moment because there's like this. Um, the, the pallet or whatever. I, I didn't know if this was a reference to the first game or not, but the fact that Dina had to move a pallet both times, to like open up where the lookout area was kind of made me giggle a little bit. Mm. Um, and then they climb up the most, like if that was supposed to be a thinly veiled reference to part one and having to use the pallet all the time, um, then we get to an area where instead of using a ladder or something, we have to climb up a rope to get up it. And the whole time I was thinking like, why didn't they just get a ladder? Why didn't they put a ladder here? And I was like thinking in my head, oh my God, why do I want ladders again <laughs> all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't know if that whole area was intentional or not, but it it gave me weird, a, a weird one-two punch of flashbacks. Um, <laughs> but as we get up there, uh, Dina starts to talk to us about uh, this guy named Eugene, uh, who isn't with them anymore. As we later learn, uh, he quote-unquote uh died of old age he died of a stroke but he was a pretty old guy um in his 70s i think they say mm-hmm. um at some point i know ken you don't have to highlight it <laughs> I I would be <laughs> and they also talk a little bit about their lives um specifically uh that ellie as has previously had a relationship with someone named kat uh because Ellie starts to press them a little bit on the Dina and Jesse dynamic and Dina presses back about cats. And, and Dina drops a little hit like, uh, Oh, you know, you were, you know, you had different things that were good for each other, but she was like, she wasn't right for you. She wasn't, you know, you weren't, Mm. you weren't right together. And I was like, only one type of person ever says that to somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) You only say that to somebody else if you mean some very specific. So, um, yeah little, little cute moment between these two um, I mean this is like again not to completely jump ahead to another section where they're just kind of walking around and talking but it is a stark contrast between Abby and Ellie in terms of like over here in one area they're being like hey here's Abby here's all the combat stuff you're going to be doing here's running from the infected and then they're like over here here's Ellie and you're just going to learn more mm-hmm. about her life and her world and kind of live in in all of this um and you can like look through a logbook and see all the different people that have come to this lookout and um there's so much like little stuff in this area that i liked a lot that i ended up getting like just lost in it because you can just like pick up and look at all these different things and uh spur on all these different conversations um And then Dina calls out Ellie for wearing the same clothes as the night before, (laughs) which is very good. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like as, as we kind of move into the next section, which is the one that I started talking about before, which is that town that we can walk around in and find even more stuff and talk about more stuff. Like, you know how Ellie and Joel are going to watch an action movie together. And they even like talk about grim stuff. Like how do you want to die and all that? Mm -hmm. And Dina makes a, kind of one-ups Abby uh, or one-ups Ellie sorry (laughs) on on her punchline and all that um what did y'all just kind of think of about like the contrast between these two characters that we have right now and especially like Ellie just getting some time to like live in the world and vibe a little bit Mm.
2: it's one of my favorite ship dynamics like kind (laughs) of mentions because you have just like total extrovert who is more maternal versus, like, this more awkward introvert who, like, obviously, like, she's into nerdy shit. Like, by this time, we've Mm. established that she's collecting trading cards, is it? Of, like, comic heroes. Um, And she's talking about some movie that I would absolutely not fucking watch, but I would (laughs) absolutely watch if the girl that I was interested loved it. Mm. Um, And Dina's like oh, you know, like, what's it about? And, like, I I can promise you, she does not give a shit. But she likes Ellie, so that's why she's asking. Like, hearing her excited
1: about something? Right,
2: Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's it's especially infectious when it's, I think, when it's an introverted person doing that kind of thing, because you see them really come out of their shell. Mm -hmm. Um, So Ellie, I imagine, is not normally this animated, but... Dina knows that if she gets her to talk about comics or about this nerdy movie that she's planning to see with Joel and like all these old movies that they like like to her seeing Ellie like that is interesting in and of itself even if she probably doesn't care about the subject matter so I think this is like a, a really cute intimate moment like it's so you know they're in the frigid wilderness but they're it's so warm in their hearts and in their dynamic and whatever yeah. so yeah they're yeah. super cute i love them
1: yeah. it also manages to like let these characters interact in a way that does not feel like explicitly expository and just like feels very natural like you can you get a sense of their relationship by them just talking to each other instead of being like you know what is, i think we even talked about this back in like part one just like the sort of being able to, like, be plucked into the middle of somebody's life with another person and just, like, be able to get, get a sense of who they are through how they talk to each other, not mm-hmm. by them saying specific things, like, specific information that they are also, tr- like, they are trying to communicate specifically to the player, the watcher, mm-hmm. whatever it is, um, because, yeah, like, you, you do get a sense of, like, the ways in which they care about each other, like, not, not just from, like, talking about the things that uh, Ellie's interested in and, like, the, the movie that they're going to watch, uh, but, like, when they're talking about each other's relationships, like, when they're talking about, like... Hey, are you, do you miss Jesse at all? Like, what you know, what happened? And then Dina's like, you know, it just we felt like we were on autopilot. Our relationship had kind of stagnated, and uh, then Dina says, like, like we said that uh, she felt Cat was not right for Ellie, but um, she, like she's grown to like her tattoo that Cat apparently made for her. Which I mean, i that they they still have like tattooing uh, instruments is something that's also occurring to me. Like, oh, that's something that survived the wow. apocalypse. Something they,
2: that I think is wonderful that survived the apocalypse is just like the gal pals concept <laughs> of like, hey, so like, oh, were not you like, how do you feel about Jesse now? And oh, I didn't really <laughs> like her. And like, yeah, because literally so the night before, but like I'm trying to feel out how you feel. Like, I think it's incredible that that energy still survives in the apocalypse mm. and also very realistic. Like, of course, these two dummies or like because nope. as forward as dina is she's still trying to like feel things out and i'm like right. i'll just kiss already please
0: <laughs> <laughs> um sadly zombies interrupt us and in our, our happy times here uh we find a moose that's all all ripped up which a hurt seems me especially sad. Yeah, it hurt me a little bit <laughs> I can't. I can't believe myself. Insert died so fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we find a, a moose all ripped up, and obviously that's a bit concerning because I don't know if y'all have ever seen a moose in the wild, but that 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 shit's terrifying. So, uh, yeah, if something messed up a moose, that's probably a bad sign for them, and so they automatically get on guard. And
1: yeah, I um, am, real quick thing which I should have noted at some point. Um, the mm-hmm. does a lot of like symbolism with like certain animals and, um, yeah, just keep the moose in mind for something. Okay.
0: The moose, the moose will no. be kept in the mind. I mean, the deer moose. was a big yeah. thing in, in last of Us part one. Yeah. So
1: yeah, they're, they're like, sure they're will
2: be hard there's... for Eric. Cause you know, it's yeah, I mean, really it's, it's,
1: it's part of his brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I mean, there's the, they the killed my that, like, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's the moth that Ellie has like as an ear tattoo and also her guitar. And um, maybe wolves will come up later at another point that we'll talk about sometime. So, yeah, oh just God. keep... She's going to have to
0: fight a giant mooth moss, or moss mooth... That,
1: <laughs> that would be a really <laughs> weird turn for this game to take, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Finally, they, they learned
0: something from Death Stranding. They were like, let's put a giant animal in this game. <laughs> um, Shoutouts to, to Death Stranding. Um, but... Yeah, so now we finally get into combat as Ellie. Um,
2: Shout-outs to Death Stranding. <laughs> Sorry. Mm.
0: Hey, you never know. This We got to keep this retrospective thing going. I'd love to make Ken play a game he would hate.
2: <laughs> oh, God, that would be so good. I don't think
0: well. I could come up with a game that Ken would more I think he would hate Death
2: Stranding. Yeah, he would hate Death Stranding.
0: Mm. That is... Mm. Yeah, Worth no that definitely is probably it. the straightest video game I've ever played in my life. That's now impressive. That I come to think about it. Yeah. Hmm. Just barely edges out Duke Nukem. <laughs> so, <laughs> um hmm. <laughs> we uh we do got to do some combat. Uh there's some infected, some runners that we we start dealing with and and as Ken notes in his notes here, uh Ellie's clearly gotten better at this whole killing thing because uh, she's not doing her whole uh piggyback leap onto yep. uh, runners anymore. Like she is getting in there and working the blade and dumping them down real fast. And the thing I liked about this area too, was as you move through this uh, area around the supermarket, uh, Dina like takes, takes out runners too. And like it, you had situations in part one where like, you know, where Ellie had the rifle and, and all that kind of stuff where it was very scripted that you were, working with uh, a partner of some kind. But in this one, it's like right off the bat, like, Oh, Hey, Dina's like over here doing stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's not like, okay, you take the one on the left. I'll take the one on the right. Like they're just operating on the same level. They're not even having to like communicate necessarily. There's no instinctually, like what the right thing is to do in that situation, how to work together. And also the fact that they're able to, to like flip that switch so quick and get into like, okay, it's zombie killing time. Like I, I kind of dug that it, it was a show of not just like growth that Ellie has grown as a person and obviously become a more capable warrior uh, in this sense. But like also there is a sense of community and camaraderie among the people that are going mm-hmm. on patrols and that, you know, they might shoot the shit and, and discuss things and all that kind of stuff and gossip. But when it comes down to it, like they're still looking out for each other and they're going to like operate together. There's a sense of like camaraderie in that, that Mm -hmm. I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, anyways, (laughs) they do start (laughs) talking about their, their kill records, which was funny because Dina does put up a number that's higher than Ellie's. But I think Ellie undersold herself a little bit in this section. Um, because I specifically mm-hmm. remember in like Left Behind there there's a lot of murdering happening in that section. I think and I, I think this is just the beginning of stuff because we begin to get into other things where Ellie kind of plays plays dumb to some stuff or like just goes like, ha ha, yeah. Oh. Yeah, if I ever get bitten, that'd be yeah. terrible and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> From
2: when I thought you were, like, implying that Ellie called Dina a hoe, like, ha ha ho, and I was like, wait, when does she call Dina a hoe? What? Yeah. No, 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 no,
0: no. Yeah. Um, where, like, Dina is like, oh, yeah, I've killed, like, 20 zombies in, in mm. one time or anything like that, and... I think Ellie was just kind of like, oh yeah, I've, I've killed a lot of zombies too. Like thinking back to all the time she has murdered so many people in the past. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've totally done some murdering too. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: uh... I do you dig that, Dana? <laughs>
1: how does that make you
2: feel?
1: Yeah, it is like, it is interesting that like, and it is, it's like an recurring thing. Like she's, you get the sense that like, even though so much time has passed, a lot of what happened in part one is kind of like a hidden secret amongst like the people that she even considers very close. Cause you know, mm-hmm. there's like all these jokes where Tina's like, I really, I really don't want to have to kill you. Don't get bitten. And then mm-hmm. Ellie's like, yeah, you know, for sure. And like, she puts on her mask when they get to a place with spores. And
0: yeah, that yeah. part really struck me is like, I had a moment where I was like, why is Ellie putting on her mask? And I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> another great way to non-verbally communicate
1: something. <laughs> right. Which will make a moment that we're going to have in a little bit. I oh. think all the more oh. meaningful. Which we we'll put a pen in that. It's a, it's it's a gut punch of like
0: it it really goes but yeah. um yeah so we we keep working our way through this uh supermarket taking out zombies I mean th- this is once again they're just gradually trickling stuff in they do have safes um where you have environmental storytelling mm-hmm. where you can find the combination um here's a fun fact you can also hear them like yeah. you can yeah you can crack them if you want which is the way i solved it uh which <laughs> made me feel really stupid when i then but looked that's at really
2: big himbo energy game, So it's me looking up walkthroughs for the numbers
0: <laughs> like i i was legitimately like when i just started turning it just to get a feel for it and i heard the click and i was like oh i bet i have to crack this i bet this is the moment where i have to like really listen closely and just dis- decipher the sound i legitimately like closed my eyes and was slowly clicking through them one by one, like listening for that different <laughs> click. And honestly, okay. Yes. Maybe there is a smarter way of go- there's it, So one of my favorite games of all time, vampire, the masquerade bloodlines has a moment like this too, where you can use your sick computer hacking skills to hack a computer. But if you just look at the environment, like just look at the computer, the password is on a post-it note like taped to the monitor so if you're just approaching it like a video game you're like okay i've got to use my computer skills that i s- spec'd into because this is an rpg and it's like no it's the the answer's right there dummy and that's like <laughs> their way of telling you hey we're going to do stuff like this throughout the game and i guess this is the last of us doing the same thing where they're like hey there are environmental ways to solve all this stuff or you can be a big dumb boy like eric <laughs> and <laughs> click through and feel really fucking cool for cracking a safe <laughs> and honestly i'm gonna be real with y'all i'm cracking every safe like that that's all i want to do from now on that was actually a lot of fun so jokes on me
2: bringing you happiness during <laughs> these trying times say,
1: let us know at one point you just get fucking sick of it and then do the environmental storytelling no. That sounds
2: a, a little sad. Eric's it's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna crack these, and it just makes me happy. This is what it's, I get. It's fun. You get to just like flick and, and, and you listen
0: yeah. for the little change in the tone and all that. Yeah. It's nice.
2: It, yeah, I'm sure it's satisfying.
0: Oh my god!
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: just let me have this. This is really not going to reflect well on me when we get to Joel's house later and the things I like about Joel's house. Um, <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> we need to get there then cuz I want to hear what that's about.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um so uh we keep going through more stuff where it's like, "Hey, here's a clicker," which is by the way maybe one of the most impactful scenes in this entire section when they're just lying there and the clicker is so close and you're watching mm-hmm. Dina just like wait until the absolute last second before she pulls the trigger mm. and holy shit like clickers were scary in a video game way like oh no they're gonna instant kill me if they get near me way but this was the moment where i was like oh yeah these things are also just terrifying Mm. (laughs) like um and dina nerves of steel over here uh staring that clicker down the whole time i was really that was something else um but you know we go through a room and um I feel like they wanted you to use the Molotov cocktail and like maybe try having like a combat moment and stuff like that because they keep giving you ammo and things like that. I just I backstabbed every one of these things like it was nothing.
1: Stealth Stealth (laughs) until you don't
0: have to. Yeah. Um, And then we use a weird cable thing. And Ken, is this going to be a thing throughout the game? This weird cable shit uh yes i was not wild about this i'm not eager to do more of this this is the opposite of the safe cracking for me this does not bring me happiness (laughs) this is me going oh this i was like oh this this seems like it's going to get really unwieldy and annoying (laughs) but um oh well i guess we will find out um So we have cleared out the supermarket. We have moved our way through, uh, but the blizzard's getting worse. So Dina decides that we're going to try and get to this area that she says will give us shelter. There's even a scary moment where you kind of lose Dina for a moment in the snowstorm. I felt like they Mm -hmm. conveyed that very well. It was a cool little moment. Um, And then finally we get to a bookstore uh, that Dina had, I think she says like she had been by it a few times, but she had never gone in there or whatever. Um, which freaked me out because I thought they were going to run into Abby's group. Uh, mm. That was my initial thought right away. I was like, Oh, they're going to run into him. Uh But as they soon find out, uh, this is a bookstore uh, that seems to have been one of Eugene's hideouts because there's a bunch of electronic stuff in here. We get our first look at a workbench and all that kind of stuff. We also find a super secret uh, room down below where Eugene grows his weed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, This is, Oh my God, this section. Oh, and I was like, Eugene fucking rules. (laughs) Um, Eugene. Fantastic. Like he's very clearly like you get a lot of exposition on this guy, uh, through like a photo of his family and the letter that he has and hearing about stories of him when he was teamed up with Tommy and stuff like that. We get talk of him. Uh, you know, I, I think they like, they, uh, bombed one of the quarantine zones or something like that, or like yeah. a checkpoint or something very similar mm-hmm. to last of us part one. Um, and uh, we, we get a lot of exhibition on this guy, but then we get like a cool little moment where um, they're hanging out down below and they're like, okay, let's try some of weed. Cause they find a bunch of joints in a Mason jar that Dina decides to open by just smashing on the ground, which is also very relatable. Um, and we we get a little moment here where uh they they flirt they flirt a bit while smoking weed and things escalate. Let's say (laughs) Mm -hmm. um this this whole section like I it was kind of neat how they did kind of this rising sense of terror and then all of a sudden like oh this is super chill place we're just gonna have fun here they find like. Eugene's porn collection, which has a very funny joke about smash Brandy's <laughs> cooch, <laughs> which is a very funny joke, uh, for Naughty Dog to make. Um, but yeah, this whole section as it kind of caps off the Ellie and Dina dynamic, um, and obviously, uh, culminates in them kind of solidifying it, uh, in a very mass effect way. It, I, I dig it. Like at mm. this point, I, I think my one, my one sticking point is that I, all I really know about Dina up to this point is that she's just a very extroverted, fun person mm-hmm. who likes Ellie a lot. And I feel like we've had more exposition about who Ellie is at this point than who Dina is. Mm. Yes. But um, overall I'm, I'm like at this point squarely invested in these characters and then no. being like, them just having fun. Like this is a dynamic we did not have in The Last of Us Part 1 and I think it does a lot to change things up.
1: Yeah. It also was like good to see that early on like kind of like uh, just waiting in any fear just that Ellie's queerness was going to be like background noise because that was like you know a a thing that people worried about after Left Behind was like oh you know there's a very real criticism that like Ellie's queerness was like sequestered in DLC but Mm -hmm. uh, you know then Part 2 comes out and it is at the forefront this relationship is going to be meaningful it is going to be Uh, a a starring relationship this isn't like dina's not gonna be somebody that she leaves in jackson when she goes to do other shit um so yeah i just like immediately felt great about like the lead in the 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 conversation like leading up to it was also very good because she's like radar kiss and then ellie's like i don't think you want me to and then and then dina's like you're infuriating have you met you good shit good shit Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah natalie any thoughts on the weed cabin
2: um, I thought it was just really cute. Like, mm-hmm. I seeing that kind of dynamic between two girls normalized is, like, mm-hmm. not a thing you see in AAA games. Mm-hmm. It was, like, quietly revolutionary in its ordinariness. So, right. yeah, it was just, like a like, seeing this passionate kiss between two women on screen that isn't... Mm-hmm. You don't get the sense that it's sexualized for an assumedly, mm-hmm. like male audience it's just like these two girls really being into each other a lot and having these pent-up feelings like mm-hmm. you know manifesting i'm like oh wow i i don't think i've ever really seen that before in a game or like at least a triple a game right. um with such yeah. high fidelity and like such it, it was so nice to be reassured early on that the queerness was going to be in the forefront mm-hmm. it, it for was sure. just
1: great uh, for sure yeah, yeah and and their relationship is like very complex. It's gonna like go in ways that are not just like, you know, Dina following Ellie as she does her hawk girl shit. It's just gonna be like, oh no, there's gonna be like, there's gonna be drama. There's gonna be complexity. There's going to be a lot to it. Like, and we're actually gonna even before we get to this episode, we're gonna talk about some stuff when we're when we switch back to Ellie after we switch back to Abby one more time.
3: hmm
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I like that you pointed out. It's like, I think in games generally, romance is so hard to get right. Um, yep. And it so often does feel like it's made for a certain type of gaze, and that's what makes it so awkward in in ways. I mean, shoot, even just playing Mass Effect One again, I was like, oh yeah, the the romance scene in this is kind of weird in a way. Um, it's very different from like how they eventually got to it with Mass Effect Three, where it felt more natural and um, less like, oh, you're doing you're doing the sexy now. <laughs> and to to not only have that but have that with these characters is is rad. Um it's nice. It's like hey, this is something that I would see on TV and not just like on a video game that I would be embarrassed when my parents watch it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um but we switch back to Abby. Uh there's uh she's still tracking some patrols. Uh we try to kind of stealth and deal with some infected, but very quickly a horde breaks out it becomes very clear that we're just going to have to run for it. Yeah. Um and this is this is a very tense part because I guess we also forgot to address that there's jumping in this game. Yeah. Uh we have a jump button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I love thinking about that because I think what was it? I think Zelda Breath of the Wild had something similar where they were like Zelda has a jump button now and it was like oh was, the world's <laughs> coming down. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it was really weird to suddenly have this moment where it's like oh we have a jump button because there's a section where you're kind of hopping from uh on top across the top of these boxes is infected or like swarming beneath you and climbing on top of them that is like i i feel like it's so easy for them they could have just had a jump button and been like oh we're gonna have some areas that will have like things that you can jump between and all that Mm. but here like that adds to the tension in a very palpable and like realistic way. And that, you know, it's, it's a very classic zombie genre trope of, Oh, somebody's teetering high atop something. And down below is the swarm of zombies. Um, And (laughs) just reminded me of a scene from another movie, but I won't go into that. Um, (laughs) But like jumping from box to box, trying to get away from them and all that, like, it's a really cool moment. And we end up in this whole section where like, they're pressing up against a fence and, and Abby is trying to like wriggle her way through there as more and more bodies pile on top of it. And it is just, Oh, they, they found ways of creating zombie terror in this Mm. one that I think they didn't really ever reach in last of us part one. And Mm -hmm. they really like went for it with this one in a way that I, I dig for the outset. It is Uh,
1: like, I, I think it's just, they find a way to like implement Uncharted set piece philosophy without it ever getting mm-hmm. like too campy, like too action movie. In, in the way that like Uncharted is like, in that like even jumping is something that like you know that's something you do in Uncharted. Like you jump and you climb shit. Um, and they do a good job of like grounding the the points where you're gonna do that in The Last of Us and like in its tone and its level design and uh and in things like this, like where we are crawling through the the fucking fence trying not to get uh, bitten or scratched by things that are like literally inches away from our face Mm
0: -hmm. and we're stuck in this super tense qte until someone saves us and it's joel uh joel and tommy are here and they're they start (laughs) helping abby uh get out of there and as they fight through this whole warehouse area and they're fighting through all this stuff i mean abby at this point, like, I'm running out of bullets. I'm picking up melee weapons and stuff like that. Like, it's really, it is retutorializing us, but it's also just reintroducing me back to, like, oh, yeah, there are sections of this game where you're just fighting <laughs> for, <laughs> to, like, you know, once everything's gone loud and the horde's coming in, you just got to try and survive. Like, this can get tense fast. Um, we finally have a moment to breathe, and Tommy tells us hey I'm Tommy and this is my brother Joel and Abby just has a moment where it's like oh and that's obviously the mark to the player they're like oh <laughs> dotted mm-hmm. line between Abby's eyes and Joel like I you know bulb lights up oh <laughs> that's mm-hmm. him um, but they work together to get a way out of there um, get on the horses and take off for a nearby cabin that Abby suggests because she's like I've got people there it's safe there we've got a perimeter it's all good and th- you're just sitting there now and you're like, no, no, don't go there, Joel, <laughs> you dumb, dumb boy, don't do it. Um, but we don't have time to to ruminate on that because we bounce back to Ellie and Dina now, uh, who are still down in the weed cabin, um, lying with each other uh, on, on the couch. And they're talking about each other's scars. They're kind of tracing each other's scars and mm. discussing how they got them and Dina's is a very you know like <laughs> a a fun little story about trying to skateboard at, and stuff like that which I was like oh yeah they might still have skateboards and kids might still mm. want to do sick kit flips in in the after <laughs> in the after apocalypse mm. um, and then Ellie tells Dina like oh hey this one's she points to the one on her arm that we are all very familiar with and she's like it's a chemical burn and so at first, I was like, oh, is this Ellie's cover story? Is this what she tells people when they ask why her mm. arm looks like that? And then she's like, it's where I covered up a bite. Um, mm. I did it to myself. And that's when I was like, oh. And, like, she completely fesses up. She's like, I got bitten. And I mm. I think I'm immune. Nothing happens. And so I covered the bite mark with a chemical burn. And then Dina like pauses for a minute and then doesn't believe her at all Mm. Um, is like, I told you a real story and starts like teasing with her and stuff like that. Um, I'll just say before we talk about this moment specifically after this is where Jesse comes in, and they have a fun little, like, sitcom moment where Jesse's mm-hmm. like, I'm coming downstairs, and they're like, no, don't come downstairs. <laughs> and, he's like, I'm still um,
1: coming downstairs.
0: And poor Jesse, he's like, oh, come on. <laughs>
1: he's
0: um, not only distracted by the weed, but by his ex uh, so quickly moving on in front of him.
2: Yeah, I don't know if, like, being in a post-apocalyptic world makes these people, like, infinitely more mature but i wouldn't be that mature probably
1: i don't think it's (laughs) jesse yeah i I, I think jesse's like a fucking golden retriever and like so like cares so much about like the responsibility of like what he's doing for his community that like i don't know like it just i he is the most level-headed person in this game like yes by by and large and um yeah i think it might just be his personality to like jesse's great yeah
2: but i think eric disagrees right
0: i mean so from the from the outset and i'm gonna say y'all have the benefit of having played this game all the way through Mm -hmm. um in this section specifically i was kind of side-eyeing jesse a little bit just because i was Mm -hmm. like he kind of moved on too quick um he seems like he's
2: he just seems so mature to me about it and i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't don't know like not to tell myself i don't know if i would be that mature about (laughs) it
0: it's weird right (laughs)
2: Right, it felt a little, I don't know Yeah, to me it felt a little weird
0: I do know some things that involve Jesse That happen later in the story But they're really like two things And they're maybe the two biggest bullet points That would have Jesse listed underneath them So maybe that's why I'm a little suspicious I'm like, "Eh, you moved on a little quick For like what this character ends up meaning To the overall story of this game But I think I need the rest of the context To kind of fill in Mm -hmm. the blanks there um once again mm-hmm. the the joys of playing this game in the modern age especially when you have to write news stories and stuff like that so you have to be aware of certain spoilers and mm-hmm. all that so you can moderate comments yeah. <laughs>
1: but... and yeah I, I will say like just before we move on from the thing it did signal to me like a lot of trust between ellie and dina when like clearly like she has up to this point kept the well yeah so of i wanted community. to
0: bounce back to that part specifically yeah. about the bite mark
1: yeah yeah just that, like, she was willing to open up to Dina about that. Because, like, you do get the sense that, like, they've known each other for years at this point, and that they this this has been, you know, leading towards an inevitability for the past very right. many years. And um, so it did feel just, like, very meaningful for her to be, like, the first person outside of, like, I guess, Joel, like, Joel Tommy, and Maria to know, like, hey, I'm immune. And I, like... I thought it was going to mean something and that's why I kept my white mark visible. But now that I, it's this constant reminder of something that I thought was going to go one way. Now I just burned it off. I don't have to look at it anymore. Um, good shit.
0: Yeah. I kind of read it differently, but I, I don't know. I think part of this was like the fact that we're so quickly introduced to Dina and the idea of like Ellie says at the beginning, like, Oh, she kissed me, but that's just Dina being Dina. Um, I was I did kind of have a moment where I was like, this is this is them sort of signaling to each other, especially Ellie signaling towards Dina that she doesn't think this is like a fling, that she doesn't think this is like a one off, which did kind of almost imply to me like the way she kind of blows it off earlier. is She's like, oh, Dina's just kind of like this sometimes. Like she just does stuff very impulsively. And so Ellie doing this here kind of signaled to me that she was like, leveling some amount of trust that Dina was not just being impulsive and fleeting or whatever, that this wasn't just like a hookup in the weed cabin, but like this did mean something a little bit more. And she was like trying to express that to Dina and Dina, it yeah. kind of goes over her head for whatever reason, whether she thinks she's just joking or whether that is something that's like so unbelievable. She would never believe it unless there was some sort of proof to it. Um, both of which I think are plausible, but yeah it did just make me like kind of have more questions about where this is going to go eventually and stuff Mm -hmm. and i feel like by the end of this we have a little bit more solidification that dina does feel the same way towards ellie but um it was kind of weird um but after we have our little sitcom moment uh jesse reveals that like hey i'm in here because i'm looking for joel and tommy like he saw the lights and stuff like that from outside so he's been looking for them and he was saying the blizzard's getting worse and worse and Joel and Tommy haven't shown up for Jesse to, like, replace on the lookout. And so the three of them split up to go looking for them. Um, back, back to Abby. Yes. <laughs> we are now moving at a much faster pace, and we're getting into it now. Um, Abby, Joel, and Tommy ride into the gates at this resort that uh, Abby's group has holed up in. And Abby's group take out a bunch of the infected that are chasing them. Um, they get inside. They said they're going to wait out the storm. Um, Owen is obviously kind of mad at Abby, but uh, is like, you're, you're just lucky and stuff like that. And Abby's like, you've got no idea. So they all kind of start to make small talk. Tommy introduces himself. And then when Joel introduces himself, the room kind of stops for a moment uh, and, and, what I thought was interesting is you can see in the background, they're like closing doors and stuff like that. And I was like, this is the moment where I would start. I mean, they obviously do start to feel uneasy, but, um, uh, Joel says like, y'all act like you've heard of us or something. And then shout outs to the camera work on this scene. Cause it pans mm-hmm. over to the left and you see Abby holding a shotgun pointed at his leg. And she says it's cause they have, and she blows his leg off, like just, hole right through it and mm. uh tommy starts to react uh and they pistol whip tommy over the head a couple of times to knock him out um and boy this is the section where i was like wow they uh they up their game in other ways too because they really show joel's leg mm. and um it's fucking gone yeah um and Abby's obviously super pissed off and gets up in his face and, uh, Joel's like, who are you? And Abby says, guess. And so here's where I maybe disagree with you a little bit. Ken, I, but I don't know. I feel like at this point it could maybe be up to interpretation, but, uh, Joel is kind of quiet and then says, why don't you say whatever speech you've got rehearsed and get this over with? Um, I took this moment to mean that Joel is like he's had enough enemies in his life that it could be mm. a lot of different people, but I think there's also enough room for implication and, and like interpretation that he does realize that these are who they are. These people are who they appear to be.
1: I I don't know because like I so it, this is I mean this is complicated to get into without spoilers because like my feeling like when I was playing this game is like I knew exactly who they were when she said guess. Like, I knew exactly who they were. I knew why they were there. Uh, well, I knew mostly why they were there. There's maybe, like, a more personal uh, reason that was not clear to me at this point because the game has not given us any reason to know that more personal reason. But it just felt, like, very clear to me who they were, like, it, why they would... Because, like... I, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, not I think spoil...
0: I think given the thing that we saw at the beginning of the game and the way they frame it, in that way it is clear to... It is easy to assume that these could be some angry fireflies. Yeah. I I don't think that's a reach. Um. And that was
1: I don't know, like, I, I felt like Joel I mean yes, he has had plenty of people that he's had run ins, but I, like who is gonna be the one that comes to find him in his mm-hmm. home that is going to have, you know, like this very personal vendetta against this man in a you know, in a fucking apocalypse where like it's not like people are easily reachable or like findable And like this this group. Right. Had to have gone through a lot to get to this point. It just, it felt that that part just felt very clear to me when I, like, when I first played it. Cause again, like, I had not seen any spoilers. I had, I was coming into this game mostly blind. Um, it just felt like that was thematically appropriate for it to be Fireflies. And, um, mm. I, I just felt like Joel had to have known that. Like, had to, have, and had to have known that, that, that what he did would catch up to him eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Um, and then uh so he he delivers his line of you know well you say whatever speech you've got rehearsed and get this over with and abby orders mel to to tourniquet the leg uh which obviously like people in the room are kind of hesitant at this point because they're kind of mm-hmm. like what are you talking about yeah and abby goes and picks up a golf club and leans over to him and says you stupid old man you don't get to rush this and whacks him right in the head and that's where we cut back over to Ellie, but, I mean, I feel like it's important at least here to say, like, this is kind of the start of what's going to be a shocking moment moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely going to say content warning from here on out, but, um, yeah, it's we, we swapped back to Ellie, and it felt like I was having a moment where it felt a lot like winter when Joel is chasing into the snow to get to Ellie. Um, it was like the flip side of that where Ellie is already like, obviously concerned about Joel, but doesn't necessarily know what could be happening. Um, and I think at this point they mentioned that, like there was kind of some tension between Joel and Ellie, um,
3: Uh yeah, like up to this point.
1: Because, I mean, there was a point where, like, Maria asked, when, like, before we headed out for the patrol, she was like, I don't know what's going on with you and Joel, but yes, he cares about yeah. you. And then Ellie's just like, it's fine. We're fine. Don't worry yeah. about it.
0: So I feel like that, that was something that got kind of, you know, stuck in the back of my mind and definitely, like, came back to the forefront here was I was like, oh, you know, this is still, like, she clearly cares about him, even if she's got, like, something going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we head into... The mansion and or the the resort or whatever and um we get down to the basement and um i mean there's this whole moment is just like we see the sleeping bags and we're kind of piecing it all together and we get down to the basement and as we're kind of sneaking our way in someone uh grabs us we you know ellie manages to slice somebody in the face uh but she gets pinned down um and we see joel lying there just bloodied all over Mm -hmm. um at this point the group is arguing amongst each other they're like why wasn't anyone keeping watch we didn't think there'd be anybody here and owen's like this is just a shit show at this point um we gotta get out of here before the whole town is you know descending upon us um and he's like he goes to abby he's like you're done um you gotta end this now and joel is like struggling to stay awake or just stay conscious joel is barely keeping himself you know, present. He's bloodied all over. You can tell he's been beat up a bunch. And Abby brings up the golf club and slams it down and we don't see the impact, but we do see Ellie screaming. And uh she starts to kind of you know, her her hearing goes out and the the others keep talking and stuff, but Ellie is just screaming that she's gonna kill all of them. Um we see one guy who we had I think is the guy that we'd slash in the face, right? Um that that yeah. did what that that spits on Joel's corpse.
1: No, 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 that was uh, that was somebody else. Oh, that's someone different. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um mm-hmm. sorry, these these characters are very new to me. So <laughs> <laughs> um someone goes over and spits on Joel's corpse and pulls his gun out to shoot Ellie, but Owen blocks him. Um we don't really get a sense of what's going on, but basically uh Ellie gets knocked out and we come to with Dina over us, um just apologizing and like uh we get one last look at Joel as as Dina goes to get Jesse um and there it is that's um what what some would say is one of the biggest moments in The Last of Us Part 2 Joel is dead yep. um i mean Natalie like damn what yep. what were where were you at with this moment when you first played it
2: <laughs> um I didn't really like Joel um, <laughs> and Ooh. for me um, I saw what they were going for here and aside from my sort of ambivalence for Joel because it's been so many years that at this point I don't like actively dislike him I'm just like oh, it's Joel whatever um, I appreciated that they did this so early on um, because mm-hmm. this is sort of, especially like as it happens, you're kind of like, oh, okay, so this is what's gonna happen. You sort of already form an idea of what The Last of Us Part two is gonna be, and you realize that it's not gonna focus on Joel and Ellie again, but specifically, at least partly and significantly on Ellie. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like, well, like, usually I think, I think a lot of other stories would try to drag this out, um, but I no. think- I think this story in particular is so confident in the bonds that it has established between Joel and Ellie up until this point and that it will continue to in other forms later, that mm. it has no problem just not wasting your time and doing this from the get-go. And I think that's especially important considering that one of the main criticisms of this game was that it's too long um, and that the pacing sort of falls off the rails like or towards the end um whether that's like however anyone feels about that for me i think this just sets a really good direction for this game like i was like oh okay like i expect this to happen but i didn't expect it to happen so soon into the game it's maybe like one hour or two at most if you really take your time it's, it's good, I, I appreciated it, and it was, it, it's, it's a hard moment to watch, even if you, you're someone like me who doesn't really feel anything about Joel, because, like, that scene isn't about Joel to me, it's about mm. Ellie's relationship with Joel, yeah. because you are playing as her, you, you know, you're running to this room, and you have to see it all from her perspective, like... Regardless of whether you think Joel is, like, a scruffy white dad who has nothing really interesting going for him, like I did for a lot of years and, like, largely still kind of do. For me, this was about Ellie and the trauma that it clearly will inflict on her immediately. Uh And so, yeah, that was, like, it wasn't about, like, me being, like, oh, like... Whatever it was like, oh this this is gonna really ruin Ellie for the rest of her life mm. in a way nothing has before, and right. I felt really bad for her. Like, poor girl just got laid with Dina, and now yeah. she has to, to go through this. I'm like, damn shit. Like, it's sorry, a day Ellie. Of right there. You're right there. Mm.
0: No. Yeah, um, Ken, I'll I'll bump it to you in a second because I know you you've got bullet points of thoughts about this, <laughs> um, but. I think for me, like, and and this was something I thought about at the original, like, back at launch, too. um, And and even before then, when the spoilers were going around and it became pretty clear that this is where the story was headed, the first thing I thought of was, like, Metal Gear Solid 2. um, Because it pulled not entirely the same, but, like, a similar thing. Or even, like, if you look back at the first Scream movie... Um, that one was very infamous for that. They had drew Barrymore as one of the big stars of the movie. And then they kill her in the first scene of the movie (laughs) or, or even like psycho, um, Albert Hitchcock did that as well. Um, and I think it's an incredibly powerful thing when used the right way. Um, but in video games, especially there tends to be, and maybe it's because we play these characters and so there's a sense of ownership over them that we don't have in, in movies, or maybe it's because, um, you know, it just is like, it's a medium that inspires a certain level of devotion to these things that like when a video game character dies, it feels like a significant impact. Um, Mm. especially when it's a character that you've played as before, that you've spent a long amount of time with already. Um, playing as being you know like we we made a point to stress that we are not role playing joel or or that that we are not playing a joel that is malleable in the sense of like a commander shepherd but we are playing joel and so even even though we're kind of playing that role like a like a theater play to have that character die um without us having any ability to to change that is is already a pretty big hit Mm. It sets the tone for what this game is going forward and I'm still working through how I feel about it. I don't know if it's like a, you know, don't be afraid to kill the past moment. Um, or if it's like, you know, is this them signaling that this is the, the loss of the old generation and the new generation mm. picking up? Or is this the past catching up to Joel? Is this a, is this symbolic of like, you can't ever outrun your past. Um, I think there's a lot of themes that could get tied into this. Mm. And, to that effect I'm really still as I've not played into any of the rest of this game beyond Jackson. So, you know, take what I'm saying with that in mind, but um I really want to know whether this ends up being something that feels like it was done with a clear narrative and thematic intent or whether it's something that was done to just change things up for a sequel. Mm. Um, Cause that's kind of where I'm at with it right now where I'm like, it's, it's impactful in a way that if you care a lot about this character, it hurts a lot, but it's also like, what does this do outside of give Ellie a reason to want to go hunt somebody down and kill them? And that's what I'm kind of trying to figure out and suss out and see where they're going with it. And I think there's a scene after this that maybe establishes that this is more of a narrative evolution and not necessarily them just like setting up a new, you know, objective, a new antagonist, a new enemy. Um, but it's tricky. And I think there's also a lot of stuff tied into this that Ken is probably about to talk about where I think a lot of people saw this as like a betrayal in some weird way is the way I've seen it portrayed online where they're like, can't believe Neil Druckmann and Naughty Dog would do this to Joel. And I'm like, first of (laughs) all, it's their fucking character. They can do what they want to Joel. (laughs) Second of all, like, it's not your character either. So it's weird that all the conversation around, it feels like the ownership is on the people who have played the games and they feel like they should have the stake in what happens to said characters or like they have to approve it in a way. And like, this isn't wrestling where you get to like critique where the storylines are going and stuff like that. And you get to feel like, you know, you have a say and this isn't blaze blaze ball where you're voting on decrees or anything. It's like, this is this mm. is a story they're trying to tell, and whether they do it well or not is one thing. But whether it was whether you're comfortable with them killing a character or not is a different story entirely. I think. Um, yeah. So. I
1: just want to th-
2: also to that point, like before we go on to Ken's yeah. um, bullet points, like <laughs> I don't care. It is incredibly fucking brave of them to have killed from the get go one of the most beloved scruffy white men in gaming. Mm. Like, yeah. It is incredibly brave of them because they knew this backlash was going to happen and they're like, no, this is a story that we've written out. We're going to do it. We're not going to waste anyone's time. We're not going to drag it out so that people got more time with Joel and, you know, whatever. Like, they did it. They committed to it. And Mm. it's like... For a moment, I remember after this, I was like, wait, is he really dead? But, like, obviously, he's dead. (laughs) So Mm. it's like there's no shadow of a doubt. And I... I don't care what anyone else says. I think it was really fucking brave of them to do it, and I loved this particular decision, as tragic as it was.
1: Yeah, it was also um,
0: super hidden too, right, Ken? Like, much like Metal Gear Solid Two, they kind of went out of their way to mask that this was going to happen in a lot of the advertising.
1: And and that uh, like kind of affected certain people's like reservation going into the game because like they like very clearly were setting up like trailers to make us think that Dino was the one that was going to die and that this was going to be a barrier gay story and uh so that like it's it's and what we have to talk about like throughout the season is like the marketing of this game set up conversations in ways that like I almost like I almost feel bad for like the dev team that probably had no say in that that like so much baggage was already being put on this game before it was even out and like regardless of what the thing that they were making had anything to do with the conversations that were happening is, like, something that it took a lot of people some time to get past. Yeah, so my... I had gone, like I said, I did not see the leaks. I had gone com- been completely blind. Um,
2: King shit.
1: And I... Uh, it took me a minute to, like, really realize, oh, this is where this game is going. Like, I, like when we switched over to Ellie and, like, we were going to the cabin, I was like, okay, we're going to save Joel. We're going to, you know, stop this from happening. And then, like, no, like, it she gets held down. And, like, I'm like, oh, I can't do shit about this. This is happening whether I like it or not. And so I, like, had, like, a solid 10 minutes after Joel's death of just sobbing, like, walking through his house later, sobbing again. And like, it was to the point where, like, I woke up the next morning. I remember messaging Erica, but it was like, my face hurts like I've been crying, like, for an extended period of time. It was that level of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, like, on the note of, like, it like the way they went about this being, like, a very brave decision, they made you play as the character that did it, and, like, that was something... I think, like, you can kind of, like, frame that as a betrayal. Like, if you have this, like, we- weird infantile view of the things that you consume as, like... Uh, they have to cater to you specifically, but I don't think Last of Us has ever really been a power fantasy. So, like, it felt in line with them to be like, hey, we are making you play as a character who's going to do something you might not agree with. Just like they did in the end of part two. Or part one. And... Um, so, from, like from that perspective like i get i it's like i can follow the logic that the backlash kind of like came from but i also think like you are this is not the series for you to think that this is always going to go your way and that you're going to play with characters that are always doing what you want all of the time and that this is going to be like it's, it's that game of thrones line like if you think this is going to have a happy ending you haven't paying attention it, it's it's complicated because like i feel like it's it's playing with the idea that like Part one's ending was very much all about was like, perspective changes the way you're going to feel about the things that happen in this world and the things these characters do. And so like, there is a question of like, did Joel deserve what he got? If it is, as we are hypothesizing at this point, angry fireflies. And I think, I mean, I follow Joel's logic. I know why he did what he did, but I also like, am following why somebody would not like that and want to fucking travel across the country to go kill him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, that deliberately antagonistic way that the game is framing both this scene and just, like, the way that the game is structured, like, we are switching back and forth between a character who we know very well, know very intimately, but are still kind of, to some extent, being walled off from. Like, there, there's been, like, a four-year time gap that we don't know what happened between Ellie and Joel, and, like, just, you know, th- there are things that the game is going to have to reveal to us about, like, her motivations, the way that she's thinking, her head space during all of this. Um, I, it feels like, just very deliberately, like, not player-centric in a way that I really appreciate, and I feel like that is kind of part of the reason that, like, hey, this game is not following the script that I want. It's not not letting me control the direction this is going to go. It's like, no, these characters have very established uh, beliefs, and they are acting upon them, and you can either ride the ride or get off. So, like, I, I have a lot of feelings about, like, the way that this game is already, like, intentionally at odds with the player that comes into certain things that we are probably gonna have to talk about throughout this game in terms of like the way that people uh talked about it after the fact that um i don't know like maybe this isn't the place to talk about made it is like later down the line when um, another major development that was controversial happens um but right now i'm just like it it was exactly what i needed for this game to matter to me like in a way that it was, it did not feel like a superfluous uh sequel for sequel sake, because like i was like oh this is very clearly about the same conflict it's very much about the same relationships and like very specific events that like that part one led into and that part two is kind of like extrapolating on in a very specific way because like i think there is often like this insistence that people have a lot in you know in a lot of media but video games especially like if a world is large there must be more stories to tell in it and i think like part two is very deliberate in that no, there's not. This is this is not a story about, like, a dilapidated world. It is very much a story about Joel and Ellie. And mm-hmm. that, you know, for all the things that people thought, like, oh, like, oh they're probably not going to touch the ending. Like, that's, you know, this very important crystallized moment in gaming and that doesn't need to be touched on again. I was like, no, like, they are making a game that is informed by that and is not, like, not pretending that any moment is, like, so precious that it can't be further dissected and that it can't be further, like... All, like, again, like, almost in, like, an anti- antagonistic way, taking away the player's interpretation of it and, like, being, like, no, we're going to have characters that have in-text opinions on things that happened. And maybe we'll give, ca- like, people that, you know, came from it with different perspectives, like, maybe were less sympathetic, like, maybe give them a character to kind of, like, latch onto and, like, maybe see, themsel- see themselves more represented in this conflict. Yeah, I don't want to get, like, too much into spoiler territory, but, like, this was the moment where, like, I was all fucking in.
2: Bird. And I think it's a it's a good moment to determine that. Like, if this doesn't reach you on right. any level, then the rest of the game just won't work for you. Yeah. Um, if you spend the rest of the game sort of thinking like, ah oh, fuck, why is Ellie doing this? Right. Like, she could have just moved on. She could have just, like, grieved uh, like normal people do. Um, I have a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. Um, but... Mm. It, it, and just to begin with, like, I guess, like, real quick, like, Ellie didn't grow up in a normal way. So I right. think I, I think seeing the trajectory yeah. of her grief and how she deals with it is so yeah. understandable for that character. But, like, if, if this doesn't work for you on any level, and, and you don't have to like Joel. Like, I don't like Joel. You don't have to like Joel. You just have to believe in the relationship of these right. characters enough to understand that Ellie is doing this and is about to go do this for a reason. Um, right. And if this doesn't work for you, the whole game probably won't. Right. That it is, hinges on yeah. this entire scene. I mean, for sure. I and feel that's, like, like that's how well, you're
0: supposed to feel, though, is that, like, even with the Abby section, like, once I kind of figured out what was going on here, I was like, why is she jumping immediately to blasting this dude in the leg with a shotgun? Like, why isn't she trying to, like, elicit some level of trying to understand this dude that she has a vendetta against? And obviously, I have, like, the benefit of knowing why specifically Mm -hmm. she was hunting him. But um, I feel like this is setting up kind of one of those questions of the game like we were talking about with part one where part one felt like it was building to the idea of what what would make Joel do the thing that he does at the end of part one. Part two feels like what would it take for someone to be able to set that sort of pain aside or at least get through it? And like what does grieving look like in this world and how do we manifest grief in different ways and so in that in that respect i think it is like it's an examination of that and that is going to make people uncomfortable but it is like that doesn't mean it's an invalid way of looking at it either
1: right and that's that's like like you were saying like that is something that i struggle with with like certain criticisms around this game is it like the idea of like oh if i really i would simply not give a fuck about joel and i was like yeah why like that is like, (laughs)
2: like i know
1: like that's the thing that's so frustrating is like there's One of the fascinating things I think about talking about Last of Us Part 2 is that, like, it kind of shows, like, the player-centric view that a lot of people have about video Mm -hmm. games. Like, it should be catering to what I want at all times. And that is something that I think Part 2 is, like, very deliberately, and, like, even Part 1 as well, like, in the very end of that game, is, like, deliberately playing against. Like, forcing you to confront, like, these characters have their own motivations and you kind of have to live with it or get off the ride and, like... And I get why some people are like, this game is fucking miserable. I want nothing to do with it. But I also think, like, trying to invalidate a character's feelings and trying to insert your own and, like, understanding, like, perspective, but, like, that has always been one of the weirdest things. Because, like, there, I mean, we don't have to get, like, too into this specific conversation, but, like, there's an accusation that the game is trying to, like, guilt you for things that Ellie does. And I'm like, either you're as one with her and her motivations, or you're not. You gotta pick one. You gotta pick whether you are Like, responsible for what she's doing, or you're not, and like you like you agree with what she's doing, or you don't. Like it is, like you have to be able to like remove yourself enough to kind of like see what the game is trying to tell you, and that has always been why I don't really care for that criticism, and I don't think that it like even lines up with the format of the game, and um, we we'll get into that more later, but just like it is something that like I, in playing these games, like in the way that we have for the show, like I'm just like. There are like I feel like you gotta meet it halfway. Like I feel like you gotta be willing to meet it on its terms rather than inserting your terms and wondering why the game's not bending to it. hmm
0: I have more thoughts on that, but I do think they are like better suited to when we get to those moments. Yeah. Um We so we we cut away from the scene that's just transpired and we we're back in Ellie Ellie's shed, um, and we hear a knock on the door. It's it's clear that Ellie's been holed up for yeah. at least some time. Lights off, you know, it's what you would expect. Um, and it's Tommy. Tommy's at the door. Um, and in a very small town sort of way, he has clearly brought some mm-hmm. type of casserole or something in a Tupperware, um, which I thought was kind of adorable in some ways because mm-hmm. I would like to imagine that Tommy potentially cooked this, but also like just the idea that they have Tupperware in mm-hmm. the zombie apocalypse just kind of made me... It was, it was the little lift I needed of being like, oh, they have Tupperware. That's so nice. <laughs> 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 uh, they they have ways of packaging their food and saving them for later, bringing them to a friend's house when they're down and need a little, you know, they're, they're sad they can't cook dinner. Don't cook dinner. I cooked you dinner. It Eric, I'm pretty
2: okay. sure everyone uh, at <laughs> the pub or the bar or whatever wasn't eating with their hands. <laughs> like, they were eating with, like,
0: well, utensils are one thing, but Tupperware is something different. Tupperware <laughs> means you have refrigeration, like, and that mm. means that you have mm. the ability to plan out days in advance. So like you're not living meal to
2: meal. Like the Tupperware represents the thing. things to me. <laughs> <laughs> like oh they have electricity
0: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool yeah I mean look I mean you want to talk about like the way you can non-verbally communicate how different this world is and how much has changed especially like as I think is going to become very important very soon what it means to leave that sort of world behind mm-hmm. and taking on the risks of going back out into what the world that we knew in the last of us part one is like- they have the ability to say, I'm going to cook a meal and make a large portion of it and then save some of it in the fridge for later. And I'll eat that on another day, or I'll take that over to somebody else's house. Like they have the luxury of thinking about those things in a world that is overrun by giant sonar clicking zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, it was just a nice little And I was like, Oh, they have Tupperware. <laughs> um, so, um, Tommy and Ellie get to talking and it already seems like they're pretty much on the same page. Um, they noticed that there were badges on the jackets of the people who attacked them that said uh, the Washington liberation front. So they want to go to Seattle where they think they'll be able to find the group that they're looking for. Um, Tommy kind of starts to explain, uh, you know, reasons why not to go. Um, you know, a lot of like they'd be leaving Jackson vulnerable if they took the amount of people they would need for this. Uh, and, you know, they they get to the point where, you know, Ellie is obviously mad and she's like, oh, you're just, you're talking like Maria right now. Mm. You know, if if, the, if it was you or me, Joel would be halfway to Seattle right now and it true no. <laughs> and so tommy is so being true like,
2: bestie that's literally the dialogue line.
0: <laughs> tommy is basically being like look i'm not i'm not here to like convince you not to go i'm here like asking you for time because i need to convince maria that this is a good idea that this is something we need to do and i think that's an interesting thing you know given the tommy that we've seen already who has been very reticent to leave jackson behind mm-hmm. and to even when it was for Ellie and all that and a potential cure and all that, like we, we saw again, Tommy says earlier in this game, like he might've done what Joel had done in his place. Like mm. there there are things, there are values that Tommy holds dear that aren't that different from Joel's. And here we see it again, where like he's, he was not willing initially to go on that quest to save, potentially save humanity because it would mean, potentially dying, potentially mm. leaving all this behind. But he is willing to do that when it's his brother and, and revenge for his brother that's on the line. Um, so a little bit more, it's nice that we're getting some Tommy in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we didn't yeah. get a lot of Tommy in the last game. So it's nice to have some Tommy in this game.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then we, we get to the next day. Um, we're at Joel's grave, um, and Ellie and Dean are kind of walking together Uh, It sounds like Tommy has left Jackson and the horses have been locked down because of it. Uh, So they don't know if there's a way out. Dina and Ellie are already kind of scheming and conspiring how they're going to get out. They've already set their minds on it. And Dina is saying like, Hey, you know, and I'm going, Ellie's like, you don't got to go. And, and Dina says, you know, if you go, I go like, it's already, she's, she's ride or die already. (laughs) Um, And now we get to, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> now we get to the part where it actually hit me. Cause to be honest, like Joel dying was shocking, but not necessarily like gut wrenching to me. Um, this is the part where it gets gut wrenching for me mm-hmm. because we go to Joel's house and we get the idea that Ellie has maybe not been in here since it happened. Yeah. Um, and I, <sighs> this is something you only learn about yourself as you kind of go through life by necessity. But i found that it takes me a while to process grief and, and people passing. And usually what tends to trigger that stuff is not necessarily initially in the moment, but when I interact with things that somebody used to own, or mm. I, I think the game that like most made me realize this was what remains of Edith Finch. Mm. Um, Cause that's a game that also intimately okay. understands the idea of like, seeing a person in the things that they have left behind and that. So this was a moment for me (laughs) as we go through this house and we just like, see how Joel lived. And I was spending the whole time just picking up on all these different little things. Like, Oh, he has, he has one of those old timey grinders that you would put like on the kitchen counter to like grind up beef um this you know, the dad objects
2: deep. that got you <laughs> yeah yes because
0: like this is like there those are things that ellie didn't have and it just stuck out to me like this is something that joel would totally have he has framed pictures of cowboys everywhere mm-hmm. um yeah. he has he has a tv but he does not have a playstation 3 <laughs>
1: yeah, kind of a fucking dvd player and a vhs yeah
0: yeah and um and you go upstairs uh and the part that really got me Smiling was the sweater. What? Smiling no, no, the that jacket. did that did get me. That that was part number two. But the first one that got me was you go into a room, you find oh. that he's converted one of the rooms into a guitar workshop mm-hmm. where he has been building guitars, and he has like the most beautiful workshop where he has all these different like tool kits and you can see there was one in progress, and he's got a bunch more like lined up on the, sh- on the, the wall. Um, and he's got an area where he was doing woodworking as well. And you can see all the different sculptures that, and like seeing an unfinished sculpture and an unfinished guitar on the, on the desk is what really got me. Like, mm. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I saw a little of myself there. I was like, what would I want in the post apocalypse? And I love the idea that Joel found a home where he could build a workshop where he could, he loved guitars and he loved music. He loved sharing it with people like he did with Ellie and like Mm. mid the idea that he was making these guitars and potentially giving them to people in the community and stuff. And like, even when you're walking up to the house, like we think of Joel so much, we talk about how cold and how Mm. like ruthless he is. But when you're walking up to his house, there's flowers everywhere, all over his yard that people have left. Yeah. And it's like, you can see that in the four years or so that they've been here, he's been a different person and he's found some level of peace. And he has like framed photos of not just uh, him and his daughter, but like sketches that Ellie did of him Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And and there's another photo that he has of, of himself and Ellie at the stables. And, you know, obviously there's the part where Ellie goes into his closet and finds one of his jackets and like smells the jacket a little bit. And that's like, I feel that's very relatable for anyone who's who's gone through a very close loss like that. But, um, yeah, it was it was seeing how much of a life he had created here, and seeing that unfinished work, and it just it slammed me. Um,
1: yeah. It's even like, it, because it has been like. So it's such a little time between when it happened and now like his bed's still not made and like mm-hmm. you see like on his nightstand he had uh, an idiot's guide to space put a pen mm-hmm. in that until mm-hmm. the very last episode of the season just put a pen yep. in that specifically yep. just like why would he be reading that the night before just put a pen in that
0: it was um that was a whole moment mm. like
3: mm.
1: yeah
0: <sighs> Mm no for I know, eric like, always be reading this journal thank you yeah
1: <laughs> i don't know like it, it was because like this is this probably the second time we've ever gotten like nine dog make an environment like this like a I home that like it's not like caught up in all the b- bullshit of their stuff because i'm sort of four I had a moment like this as well but that was still with nathan drake and Elena fisher like living in their home that married like a married couple like seeing uh that treasure hunter move into the life of domesticity and um that one felt like It felt very different to go into those homes where like you know the people are still alive like they're making a life for themselves and like looking at the pictures and um you know getting a sense of like what's happened in the time since you last saw them and it just has that like it just has that extra weight when like this is the life that this person had made that like you know it it gets to like what this game is kind of going to be confronting for like you know the rest of this game is that like you look at the potential of something that was being built or maybe rebuilt and knowing that you're not going to necessarily be able to see the fruits of that labor is kind of what lingers over you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like, like what you're saying, there's a difference between characters, like, like traversing a home, you really got into the interior of the minds of the people who Mm -hmm. inhabit it. But this is Mm -hmm. like, this is about the things that we leave behind. This isn't about, someone making a living there anymore this is about what joel has left behind and that touch and um like the thing you mentioned about the bed not being made like Mm -hmm. uh, it it makes me think about like it's so eerie and like such a normal thing now but like after someone dies and you sort of see their social media footprints and Mm. like they just don't ever come back to instagram or don't right. tweet or like you know that project that they were still working on and showing to the world that work in progress was still you know being made and they're not going to come back to to finish that and mm-hmm. show the world um, the finished product and that is just like a really common thing now and a really it, it never stops being disturbing for me like I'm like, mm. like ugh, this is it, it's like walking through a bit of a home. Like you, you see all these, the, the ways that this person who lived in this house thought, um, mm. they like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a heartbreaking sequence. And
1: there's even, which we actually didn't touch on. Like I mean, well, we mentioned it, but like you do also see the picture of Joel and Sarah. So like, it always was meaningful to me that like Ellie picks up the picture and looks at it and doesn't say anything. Just like, that's something that doesn't need to be spoken into the game to like mm. have meaning. And, uh, yeah, just right, one of those moments. But small she doesn't moments.
2: have to say something like, ah, oh, they're no. together now, I guess. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I, I will
1: fucking tell you, like, some of the, like, most heartbreaking fucking fan art that has come out since this game is always of Joel and Sarah meeting each other in heaven. And like, that is, yeah. like, obviously, like, heaven does not mean anything to me as a person that doesn't believe in God. But like, there's reason to believe that Joel did. And like, that can be comforting, even if it's like, because like, we also know that Ellie doesn't believe in this just because that was something that she talked about with Sam. So like, Maybe like there's a moment like of her feeling some comfort, like if Joel was right, he is with her again at least. Yeah.
0: It's uh, it's tough stuff. And uh we when we get to our final thing that we find in, in Joel's house, it's it's a box that seems to have some of his belongings that was on him, which includes his watch that Sarah had given him and still broken and all that. And um and a revolver. So the game kinda reminds us like, hey, we got we got stuff to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so this we head back...
2: will contextualize so much of the violence. Like, it's not just yeah. Yeah. gruesome, needless violence. It is violence contextualized by deep grief. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And so as we head back downstairs, Dina is sitting down there and Maria is there. And obviously, there's a bit of a standoff here because Ellie's like, what, are you, you going to stop me? You know, are you here to, to keep me from going? somewhere? Mm-hmm. are you going to lock me up? And... Maria is clearly here because Tommy has taken off. Um, Tommy had left a note before he left, um, basically saying, don't let Ellie follow me. Um, You know, he wants to take this on himself. And Maria is obviously frustrated because she would have preferred that. I I think it's easy to infer that Tommy leaving by himself and leaving a note implies that he could not change her mind at all about this. And so now she's kind of at the end of her rope with this, you know, she's obviously. I, I feel like this is the part where we get a little bit of insight into her and why she is the way that she is, especially with Seth and stuff earlier. Is that she holds like keeping this community together as the most dear thing to her, yeah. um, and this manifests itself here by her saying, "Like, look, I." She doesn't want her husband to die. <laughs> you know, she loves her husband. She's already been through the loss of a brother-in-law and somebody that was dear to someone that she loves. Um, and the thought of losing war is, is a lot. So basically she says, you know, I'm going to give you a horse, get some ammo, bring my husband home in one piece. Um, and as you know, you know, she just kind of takes off. Um, it's, it's one of those, like, this is a weird relationship in the game between Ellie and, and Maria, where I feel like in this moment, there's just an acknowledgement that they both have. An investment in this stuff and they haven't always seen eye to eye but they both want the best outcome from this everybody mm-hmm. comes back home and in one piece yep. and with some semblance of closure so it is it is a, a an odd note to leave off on <laughs> here but i mean the note that we're leaving off on is basically like ellie and dean are riding out and they're not only chasing after tommy but they're going to try and you know see this thing through and not let this go unanswered so what a fucking way to start a video game Mm. (laughs) yep Um, any closing thoughts here Nat on on just Jackson and this whole section before we head into Seattle just how Mm. this game introduces itself
2: trying to think of something that I haven't said so far um i don't know i just i really liked that dina was just ride or die like it was just Mm -hmm. without a question and it it is such a small thing but when you are really not used to seeing that between two queer people and seeing that manifested through a queer relationship that like um undoubtful Mm. love that like will push these people like Dina is obviously not making the wisest of choices but it is a choice that feels right for her and the only one that she can really afford to do because like staying is just out of the question for her um right. so like that and the graveyard scene all of that is just really special um there's something bigger happening here like Ellie mourning Joel and whatnot um and that's not to like minimize that part of it but to me that that stood out a lot just like the small gestures between them again the the nonverbal language um mm. in this game um and yeah just like I really appreciated that Dina never made it a question about like why are you doing this? Or like, right. are you sure you want to do this? It was like, okay, let's see how we're going to do this. Like that part where they're leaving the cemetery and they're like, um, what she? oh yeah, she talks about how, uh, I think one of the horses was like, taken or tommy took one of the horses or someone took one uh-huh. of the horses because at the time ellie doesn't know that it's tommy and she's like it's gonna be harder to get to seattle and dina's just like then it's just gonna be harder um and that yeah. is such a, a simple interaction between them but it, it says so much especially as someone who can like really see myself and the pessimist that is ellie and like her anxieties and her just general introverted nature i i really appreciated seeing that from dina and like it doesn't feel i don't know they've just written them so well so far that like it doesn't feel like girl you're really gonna do this for Ellie. like shit i know you i know you like her but but Mm. no it it just feels really believable and it's it's not something that i've seen a lot Mm. maybe if ever in a triple a game so um just the many ways in which we are already normalizing queerness and centering it and also not like falling into the idea of like like you know like some people are weird and dumb and they're like oh you can't talk about those things because like what about all these other themes that are equally important like no like a good story can have all these themes like you know being centered on that's just kind of how life is it's not like we focus on one specific theme at a time like it's yeah so um i think it's an incredibly strong start and i knew from this that i was going to like the game um i think both the last of us one and the last of us part two start off in shocking ways but um I don't know, I just I connected with Ali a lot more for mm. a lot of different reasons. And so just it sets very good expectations for what's about to unfold for the next few hours. And I think that is an incredibly good thing that you can do in a video game. Just be clear about the expectations that you're gonna lay out for the mm. player.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ken, you feeling ready for the rest of the Last of Us Part Two?
1: I am. I am I this opening of this game got me very much on board for what was coming and uh, I feel like this podcast this this first episode has also got me very on board to discuss it in the way that I think are going to be I think are going to be largely more varied than what we did about part one because I feel like even when we were looking for like guests for that season we were kind of like confronted with the fact that a lot of people's opinion on that game is largely either they really love it or they don't care enough about it to have opinions on it and I feel Mm -hmm. like with the like the people that we've got coming in to talk about it, where I think we're going to have a lot more varied discussion. Because I think this is a game that is not to say the part one isn't complicated, because I think it is a very complicated game, but I think the ways in which perspective uh, diverges both in game and out is fascinating discussion to me when it is um, tempered and productive, I guess I'll say. Hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to fucking go.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely ready to start to, I guess, challenge some of the things I had thought about this game going into it. Um, definitely this first scene alone, not not specifically, you know, I went in being like, okay, they're going to kill Joel and it's going to be this big shocking moment and yada, yada, yada. But the scene afterwards having, like going through the house, and I'm like, why didn't anyone talk about that? That was like a really striking moment for me, mm-hmm. like just as much as the Joel thing itself. And, you know, it's easy to say that, like, I think we talk very hyperbolically about games in general. Like we always talk about the big moments and never about the small stuff, but
3: mm-hmm.
0: that's definitely been the case with the last of us where I'm like, nobody talks about this part. And why aren't we all yelling about Tommy's top of <laughs> 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 Damn it. Um, mm. Yeah, no, Joel's Joel's acoustic guitar shop really got me. I want to be that in the post zombie apocalypse. I want to be the guy that makes everybody guitars, guitars. Um, you're That's not going...
2: far off, I can tell you now. Like <laughs> if we were to have an apocalypse tomorrow and you survived it, I think you'd be pretty close and to that. You the survived foundation it. is there. <laughs> well the I mean, mean it's, it's, is an so there.
1: it's an important like part of it. Like that that does need to happen for anything else to happen.
0: Yeah, day one's pretty important, isn't it? <laughs> um So that's going to do it here for us for episode one. As always, we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast. We were also once a mass effect podcast and we reflect that by the fact that we've been doing roundtables about mass effects. Uh, Episode one should be available for everyone at Mm -hmm. this point uh, featuring Kat Bailey and John Warren. It was an excellent Mm -hmm. time. It was a great talk. Uh, It was, it was all around wonderful. We have two more on the way. One for mass effect two and one for mass effect three. Uh, We'll be recording the mass effect two one pretty soon here. And uh, surprise, surprise, Nat is currently scheduled to be on the Mass Effect 3 one. So <laughs> it will <laughs> it will not be long until you hear Nat on this again alongside Ash and uh, Emma Kidwell. And I got to say, I'm very excited to have not just Nat back on for the Mass Effect 3 podcast, but to also have Ash on for it because mm. y'all, y'all two together when we were on the Dragon Age panel... I was going to say, when we were on the
2: Dragon Age panel... Me and Ash together. (laughs) I I was
0: eager to get y'all in a room talking about Bioware again because that was way too much fun not to Mm. find an excuse to do it again. So I'm glad we found a way to do it. I am so
2: excited. And I'm (laughs) glad you had me for this first episode of The Last of Us Part Two. It's a really special game for me. I know that it's special for Kenneth, and Mm. I'm excited to hear about how you will like it, Eric, and what you will think about it. Um, and I'm really glad that I got to talk a little bit about at least like the beginning and just how much I really love this game and why part of why I think it's so special
0: oh we're gonna have a lot to talk about I imagine uh next week we will be going to uh Seattle day one uh which is another long one we're gonna try and this has been a bit of a feature-length podcast so maybe the next one we'll try and be a little bit more succinct in the way we talk about things but don't uh, count on it uh, it's, it's plan plan for the best <laughs> <laughs> but uh as always we also have a patreon patreon.com slash norm dfm where you can go and support what we do uh, right now, any tier, any level of backing us will not only get you into the backer discord where you can hang out. We would share currently we've just been sharing a lot of memes and, and posts about our Mass Effect Legendary Edition playthroughs, which has been a lot of fun. But you also get early access to all three Mass Effect roundtables when they go up. That's a special thing that we're doing just for y'all because we want to appreciate y'all for backing us. Uh, as always, five dollar backers get every episode as soon as they're done being edited, and if you back at the highest level, you get your name and shout out every week on the podcast. And this week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just the wedge of destiny, Zach James, and Kevin Hux. Thank you all for backing so much. Thank you, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, and uh, Natalie. We've said it many times before, but we're going to say it again. Where can the folks at home find all your excellent work?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Hardy Musia, and you can find me writing during the weekends and sometimes during the week over at fanbite.com where Kenneth is a staff writer now. Yeah. What's up?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So It's um, an objectively good TM <laughs> website. We're both on it. So, you know, yep. the lives.
0: I think he got promoted because uh, he was doing such a good job of getting all of uh, FanBite onto this podcast. (laughs) It was 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 a recognition (laughs) of his work. (laughs) Uh, On on that note, we will see all of you next week. Thank you again, Natalie, uh, for for coming on and sharing all your thoughts. And thank you, everyone who tuned in for Nat, for Ken, for myself. We will see you next time on Normandy FM.